Hello everybody and welcome to episode 31 of Daffy's Roundtable. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about managing larger collections, tips to organize yourself, and how to not get overwhelmed. And today's guest is the perfect guest for this conversation, not because she has a huge collection, but because of how she handles this giant collection beautifully. And she managed to do so with two full-time jobs and four kids. No excuses, people. That's right, I'm talking about Jen Haler, also known as JHJ. And today we're going to take a tour of her collection and learn all of her secrets. But before we do that, a huge thank you to the show's sponsor, Exoterra, for making this episode possible. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. And on that note, the Canadian Reptile Breeders Expo is next week on the 17th and 18th of September. And I will be there at the Exoterra booth from 10.30 to 12.30 on Sunday the 17th. So come say hi. Let's take some pictures. Let's chat about reptiles. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, without further ado, everybody, please welcome my guest for this episode, the Queen, Jen Haler. Hi, Jen. Hello, Fadi. How are you? Good. Are you excited to be here? Yes. yes, I am very excited to do this as well. Um, You've finally. been on me for months and months to do this, so I'm happy I, that we're actually doing it. <laughs> I have, I have, and, I'm, and there's a good reason for it. I'm, I'm very excited to hear a lot of stories and a lot of um, awesome tips because you know Jen is the queen of, of reptile keeping at this point <laughs> full of tips um, but before we get into all that can we start right at the beginning yeah so I want to hear how you originally first got into reptile keeping um, your experience is breeding and then I know you stopped for a bit and then getting back into it yeah so, um, go. <laughs> so way back not to date myself but going <laughs> way back in time um, like 15 years ago, or well, longer than that, but 20 years ago, I got my first reptile. I was like in my 20s. Oh, God, I just gave my age away. And um, I got a leopard gecko because I went to a store and, you know, I, I I loved reptiles and I finally had my own apartment. And so I got a leopard gecko and I did not like him. <laughs> I had that thing for like 20 years. <laughs> but, but you uh, didn't like him. No, everyone who knows me knows I'm not a leopard gecko person. But um, that's true. But that was my gateway reptile. And then, you know, for a couple of years, I had an African fat tail and a leopard gecko. And um, from there, you know, once I was in a bigger apartment, I started getting into crested geckos. And that was like, we're talking at a time where like Northern gecko was like this tiny little breeder. There was anybody who's been in this hobby a long time on the gecko brothel, you know, Doug Healy. These were the, the only people in Canada back then who were doing this. And Was Rapashi available yet? No. So, no. no, we're talking about a time where you would, some people were feeding baby food and that was like the worst thing you could do. You'd yeah. go to the grocery store, you would buy the expired fruit, you would spend uh, a weekend making fruit smoothies, freezing it in ice cubes for the next month. You would take out an ice cube, you'd add your calcium and your nutrients and then you'd put it in like, um, there was no, the first diet that actually came out was Clark's before Rapashi. We had Clark's, Clark's Canada first. Okay. And, uh, and I just remember in the hobby, it was this like, we shouldn't be using manufactured diets. Our homemade diets are better. And like, you know, all of these preconceived notions, but yeah. yeah. So I went from, you know, just a few little things to, 
I was producing around 100 to 200 geckos a year. And, you know, we used to go to the reptile shows in Mississauga, which were at that point held in a community center. <laughs> there was like 20 vendors. It was still the same company though, right? It was still done by Port Credit and Grant back then. Yeah, they've been doing it forever. But um, it was just a very small community. Crested geckos hadn't taken off the way it had. We're talking about a time where like dart frogs were like coming into the hobby and like yeah. dart frogs was like this like oh my god how are you going to get this species and we're talking about a time when like miss king had first come out and okay. so you were hand misting everything and then when miss king was released we were all like oh do we trust automation and <laughs> so again this was a di very different time in the hobby it's like when i talked to my kid about before the internet <laughs> it's yes. hard for people to imagine that this time existed call it, it before Ripachi or before before yeah. technology kind of yeah yeah like it's just it was a very simple time and um production was still you could still produce a lot because press geckos were still easy to breed but like um we're talking about like the first pinstripes being a big deal like everyone was trying to purchase these imported partial pins to create the first first pinstripe and like whereas now like a pin is like man whatever like yeah, you, know, yeah. you wouldn't like, have even imagined lily whites or azan no it was or like anything like that so far beyond really like exotics and all of that so it was a it was a really fun time in the hobby i enjoyed it i did it um and i'm sure no one remembers the purple gecko but that's how the name i did it under back then you were a purple gecko i was a purple gecko okay. um and then um rack canada and um Reptile, Reptile Classifieds Canada was how we did everything on the internet. And then we had the shows and it was a really, I mean, we're talking about before Facebook. <laughs> it yeah, was yeah, before yeah. Facebook. Like yeah. it was a really, um, it was a really interesting time and it was a lot oh. of fun. And um, yeah, and then I got busy. I started working full time as a teacher and I wanted to travel. We wanted to have kids. And so I got out of it and we sold, I sold all the animals, most of them, some to Northern, some to um, Gecko Brothel, Betty, who's now out of the hobby. And I didn't have anything for like 10 years, 15 years. And then I got back into it. My kids were looking at the old photo bucket photos of the reptile room from the day. And they were like, what, why don't we do this? And so about six years ago, I think now. Yeah, I think, yeah, a little yeah. more. Well, you had, when, when we met, you already had it was more than six years ago and you already had a couple of dark frog species and you were yeah. starting you know, I got, to get the crested geckos yeah. going again and yeah. i got back into i got into darts originally when i got back into the hobby before I yeah all those years ago mm. being like darts were this thing that everybody wanted to have and you couldn't get them so i got into darts um first and did that for a year or two and then got back into cresteds because they are my at the end of the day they're the species that love the most and yes, it just yes. over the last few years has kind of grown from there i was doing a lot of plants um rare roids and stuff like that and then those two things with all of these bioactive enclosures becoming a big thing i mean it's something i did 20 years ago that was like unheard of right. and now it's a staple in the industry so it was a really great time to mesh my love of plants back into that love of reptiles and so it's just kind of turned into this <laughs> it really is the 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 way of keeping now is or, or not the only way but one of the many methods is plants tropical bioactive is is kind of feel like people doing um all the new cows people doing the the uh dart frogs and all those people are going towards the bioactive and and it's it's awesome and even bearded dragons and leopard geckos even more arid species people are coming in to like the store more and more and asking like 
can I do this? How do I go bioactive? Anything yes. that's bioactive. And it's just a matter of understanding the environment they're from. And so that was something I said, I, 20 years ago, I was keeping crested geckos. I had an eight foot tall by four foot wide by four foot wide enclosure that I was housing some females and one male in that was all planted. And it was just one of those things that back then no one was doing, right? So it was yes. a hobby that hadn't developed yet. So when I got back into the hobby and saw all of these wonderful things that are happening, I was like, this is my time. Finally, yeah. <laughs> okay, what, what are some things that, how do I phrase this question? What are some things that, ex that didn't exist in the hobby back then that now exist? So Rapashi um, is a big one. Okay. For sure. Rep at any, and it's funny because we say Rapashi, we think Crested Gecko diet. Any manufactured diet didn't yes. exist back then. Like Alan Rapashi was obviously breeding Crested Geckos and, and doing this stuff. But like the whole line of Rapashi, Pangea, these were just these were just breeders. They weren't producing a product like this back then. Yeah, I said yeah. Clark's earlier. So, and I, I mean, that, that extends beyond um, New Caledonian species to even just the aquatic products. And like, you know, when we're talking about like some of the um, different foods we have now, like the gelled products we can make for, for tadpoles and stuff. You weren't doing that back then. Yeah. The idea of being able to go to a store and buy fruit fly cultures, like that wasn't fly, a thing. That wasn't a thing. And yeah. like, if you were like the feeding options, the worms, the types of crickets, the types of feeders we have now, like, you know, now the, the big thing in the States is it's roaches. And now those are starting to slowly creep into Canada. No, Finally. Pun no, pun <laughs> but like really it was crickets. It was cricket. Yeah, and you just cricket. Yeah. And you know, there were no exotic pet stores. I mean, there were, but most pet stores were still very much like all the animals. You couldn't yeah. really support a single exotic pet store back mm -hmm. then. So, like, realistically, you were having your ship, your cricket, sorry, your cricket <laughs> typically shipped to you. Like, I would get my cricket shipped 5,000 at a time in boxes in the mail. Yeah. Because you couldn't like just go and buy them the same way. It hadn't taken off the hobby the way it has now. So feeding options for sure. The types of worms, the types, of, the availability of crickets and other. There feeders. wasn't like silkworms and hornworms and all that. Slowly it was coming in, but it wasn't the way it is now. Where you okay. can like even like PetSmart now carries these things, right? Like yeah. mealworms and crickets, mealworms and crickets. Like it was yeah. kind of what you were feeding, and and crested geckos back then were cricket eaters like nobody wasn't yeah. feeding crickets like you yeah. were feeding fruit but you were feeding and you had to gut load your crickets well because most of their nutrients were coming from that whereas now most of your nutrients are coming from the diet crickets are a treat for most people my yeah. animals i'll eat live i was gonna ask you 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 feed, you still feed crickets to everybody i do just because i did it for so many years and i and that's where my experience lies and i have a good response from it i find they grow well they grow proportionately I've never had any issues with crickets. I see really natural behavior in them and how they hunt. So it's something I do. Obviously, I tell customers, you don't have to. Now we have these options. But I like to stay as close to nature as I can. And, I mean, and how often are you giving them like, well, Rapashi, Pangea, Zoomed, what do you use? And how often are you giving to them? Well, I'm a Rapashi fan. Okay, yes. <laughs> you know this. Yes, <laughs> I do. Yes. yes, I do know uh, this, yes. <laughs> I, have no, I have no problem with any of the diets. Realistically, they've all been formulated more or less based on what they need. I just find that with Rapashi, I can mix in um, any fruit flavor with the um, the bugs flavor and the grub pie or whatever. Yeah, it's a higher protein. I find they grow well on it. And realistically, that's the least tasty diet you can give them. 
So when yes. I start with Gecko and I know it's going to a new home and they're like, well, I feed Pangea, I don't worry because they're Here's always the going to have a good feeding response to Pangea. Mm -hmm. They're always going to switch. If I'm feeding Pangea and they want to feed Rapashi, it's a bit harder to do the switch back because Pangea is sweeter. So I'm, and again, Rapashi was the first one that came out. And that's an interesting way of thinking about it, actually. Yeah. yeah. Making it easier for their future homes. Like I've heard lots of people say, I can't, oh, this gecko was eating Pangea and I can't get on Rapashi. I've never had that issue, but I understand that for people getting them switched over, it's hard. So I stick to Rapashi. But yes, yeah. I think it's more of a fear of, I can't have them go uh, miss a meal or, or something. Yes. So they're scared of having, of, of like putting in the rapashi and them not eating that night or, or whatever it is. Or, or they're not seeing the whole bowl empty. Or that, right? yes. Yeah. You have an incredible feeding response and they're eating the whole bowl and it's like, okay, but that's also not necessarily a good thing mm -hmm. either. Like when they order a small fry or a large fry, I'm going to eat it all. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> doesn't mean because I needed I, it. Yeah. How, how healthy do you want to be? Exactly. That's true. And a lot, of, a lot of geckos nowadays are very um, big, let's say, yeah. big in the not healthy way. And we support um, that. Same with snakes and yeah. all, like the bigger, the, the, you know, the healthier they are. And that's not necessarily true. It's not, it's so not for true. me personally, I stick to Apache. I get a good feeding response out of it. I've never had an issue. And I find any gecko I sell, they're very easily to get them over. So yeah. But awesome. Okay. Beyond... So that was like, I think, feeding options that have changed. Yes. Oh, yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Beyond feeding options, which is obviously the biggest one, is attitude. So like we talked about moving towards bioactive and yeah. more natural. Well, it's kind of funny because we're moving away from their natural feeding, but we're mm. trying to move towards their more natural environment. So right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting how like trying to recreate the environment more from the nature. So going more to bioactive, again, even for things like bearded dragons and leopard geckos, you know, which we used to keep on like crushed walnut or like yeah. Repti carpet, like, you know, people trying to recreate, people understanding that a bearded dragon isn't a desert animal. It's something that still needs to have, you know, a range of areas, this whole idea. Something to burrow in, something yeah. to, uh, yeah. Regulation being understood more now and people understanding that, you know, bigger enclosures are better and that you can create different zones for them, let them choose it. That is something that was not really discussed at all back then. Um, the really funny thing in terms of what hasn't changed are enclosures. Like, yeah, it's the same ones. It's We're like, using exoterras, but exoterras and stuff like that. Yeah, then. yeah. I used to do like 25% off on their exoterras. Like, every so often, I just go buy 10, like every year, dad. And like, yeah. I, I often wonder if some of the ones you buy used are the exact same one I may have used 20 years ago. 20 years ago, yeah, like, yeah. So little change. They changed the locking mechanism on the top about what five or six years ago, but that's really <laughs> it. Like, it, it actually, I mean, there's Zoomed, there's, um, What's the other one? Zilla. And there's and Thrive now. And Thrive there's, there's now. a bunch of new ones. Yeah. But it's funny how Exoterra still really, which I think is a credit to them. Yes. Like, they're still the fact that. Absolutely. All these years and they're still, the product is still yeah. stands. It's still one of the most used enclosures. Absolutely. I agree. They, they made a product that. Shout out Exoterra. Exoterra. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. No, 100%. Yeah. They made a product that has stood the test of time. And. Um, yeah. I actually have one that has uh a little date on the bottom of like oh, yeah. the year it was made and it says 1998. I'm not surprised at all. And it's still, still, I had to get the screen replaced, but everything else it was working. That might've been one of yours. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't sell out and try to make like, we're going to change the dimensions so that none of the old ones can be retrofitted. Like yes. I can still take a lid from an old Exoterra and, or from a new Exoterra. If you just 
cut out the little notches around the inside and you can put a new exoteric on the old tank. Like they didn't try to phase out their products to make them not serviceable anymore, which is great. And, and and the standard sizes too, so that you're not even if you're you're going from whatever tank to tank or a new tank to old tank, you can just put it back right back on the racks. It's, exactly, it's you're not having helpful. to redo. Which I mean, as a company, I I definitely respect because they could have changed everything and then you got to go and redo everything. So, and there's obviously some really good options that are coming onto the market now. And Exoterra is keeping up and trying like their new frog line, the frog yeah, frogs and co. Yeah, bottom like that's all great. Yeah. But again, but they're staying true to their sizing and making it that you can still use your other pieces and put it yeah. all together. So and I branding, find, recognize you can still tell it's an exoterra from, yeah, from anywhere. Like look it, at it. Yeah. Just no looking at it. So I have a, it's interesting how the, the enclosures really haven't changed that much. Automation is definitely the big one. Miss King came out about halfway through my original um, journey in reptiles and Again, it's funny because when it came out, everyone's like, this is a product. And then here we are 20 years later, and it's still it's still the one to go with. You know, there's yeah. other options on there. I mean, next yeah. to make a misting system. But the monsoon, yeah. The monsoon, which is great if you have, you know, one or two tanks. But, but when you go big, you need the Miss King. The Miss King yeah. is still there. I've, it, I've never had yeah. a failure with a Miss King. I, I, you can buy a used Miss King pump and it works <laughs> like, yeah i know you're, you're right i've, I've yeah. from from experience I, I i agree i've i've only had mine for i think three years now running but yeah um everyone else's i've seen i've spoken to they've been like yeah i've had mine for 12 years yeah. now no problem and when they came awesome. out i remember us all standing around the expos watching demonstration like just trying to fathom in our minds that all 50 tanks could be misted at once at yeah one. Like, cause yeah. when you were hand misting misting was a two-hour job yeah. every day like it was such an like but still saying like, do we trust automation? Yes, at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's also the investment. People invest in the hobby now much more heavily. Like yeah. it wasn't the same back then. Like you didn't, the, the idea of the reptile room, which has become such a like concept for us yes. now, it didn't exist back then. I had a reptile room, but I didn't think of it the same way as I think of this reptile room. Yesterday. It was just a room in the house that you had your reptiles in. Yeah, it was a fun <laughs> It wasn't necessarily the yeah. same room now, whereas yeah. now it really is. Like the idea of investing in, in really good misting products, investing, you know, in really well done enclosures, this idea of, you know, having tutorials on how to escape, like escaping. I don't, I don't think escaping was a thing. I don't ever remember using the term I'm scaping. I'm setting up a tank, I think is what I would have said. And people can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But it just wasn't the same way in the hobby that, that the art form of it, it wasn't the same as it is now. Like there's something about picking up all your plants and picking up your soil and picking your cork and your branches and going home and like sitting there for hours just playing yeah. with the tank. And it's it's you're you're right. I think before the the hobby concept was more keeping the animals and kind of understanding how they are how keeping them keeping them alive keeping them you know doing well yep. and now that we understand that with most of the animals it's like how do we advance from here how do we yeah what's next the step. next step yeah exactly exactly yeah. and i think we're finally getting well, hopefully finally getting to that next step and we were still dealing with a lot more like metabolic bone disease and like we were still learning a lot of that stuff like, especially when you're home making your own diets like you know, everyone was always sharing how much calcium, how much vitamins are putting in. Like those were still things we were concerned about because we were still learning how to properly keep these animals healthy. Whereas now that's kind of been cut out. All of that science is kind of gone. 
So cool. now we're able to start advancing into, do they need UV? Do they not need UV? Let's, let's play with this and see Will if it they benefit it. more with it. Yeah. Now we're able to look at, you know, do they need different zones? Do they need a, a bigger drop at night? Less of a drop at night? Like, I can't remember obsessing over when I missed it back then. Yeah. Because and now, now you're like, is it better to miss at night? Or is it better? Yeah. yeah. I'll like, I'll go yeah. a week and I'll do like, you know, do I do a 45 second mist here and a minute there? Or do I invert that? Whereas like back then it was like, you're just holding the button until you're tired of holding the button. And then yeah. you, move to the next one. <laughs> you know, I you're like, yeah, looks enough moisture on the glass. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Isopods. Like yeah. isopods were not. Were a yeah. Were they a thing no, at all? No, not a thing back then. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think if there were springtails. I mean, you had springtails and plants, but I don't think anybody back then, again, correct me if I'm wrong, was culturing. Like I was keeping bioactive setups. And I wasn't adding bugs to it. Like, it just I mean, happened naturally to it would happen. Yeah, naturally it would yeah. happen. But like the idea that you could just go and buy a culture of springtails or like, you know, dwarf whites, that wasn't, I remember when I got back into the hobby with the dart frogs, that was one of the things that really got me was the whole, like all of these organisms existing in this setup that are keeping it going. Like yes. it was a new concept that just wasn't adopted yet least not like as widely as it is now so yeah. you know people were keeping most crested geckos were kept with paper towel that was right. kind of the standard was paper towel on the bottom and you changed your paper towel out every week when i was like this is like a lot of work so that's why i went to soil mix and yeah. because i've always been a plant person i knew what soil mix to use but like very people were like oh impaction risks and choking risks and like it was you know, sterile, 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 keep everything clean. If you can't boil everything, then it can't be clean. And whereas now we've come to appreciate all of these microorganisms that do the work for us and actually create a better environment. So it's, again, it's mind blowing to me that we have all of this available to us that we just didn't back then that just makes the whole hobby just more enriching. That much better. That much better. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's like we, we haven't just expanded it. We've taken it from this to like this like it's and, and and it's still growing now and it's it, almost like yearly new products are coming out new things to, exponentially yeah. like yeah, it's, it's phenomenal yeah. it's phenomenal yeah and of course we're so happy about it yes always <laughs> yes when you love it when you're here because you love it then this stuff excites you like when you're not in it because you want to make you want to make it your full-time job when you're doing it because it's where you want your full-time job's money to go then yeah. <laughs> it's really that's where the, the passion really can come in. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so we already said that when you came back into the hobby, you were keeping dart frogs and you slowly started being crested geckos from there. And now what are you currently keeping? Um, what are you working with? I know it's many, many, many species. Um, so I don't know how you want to group them or put them together, but yeah. What are you currently keeping? So when I'm getting into Yeah, there had to be a sigh before the list. They're always <laughs> <laughs> because it's hard people are like so what do you specialize in well that's complicated everything. <laughs> everything um yeah well everything is kind of the answer but very specifically what parts of everything so for me coming back into the hobby dart frogs was my gateway back in because it was one of these things where it was like back then you know you had blue dart frogs and we called them blue, blue poison dart frogs and i don't think we even knew back then that they weren't they poison. weren't more. They weren't as oh really okay yeah they weren't Azurus at that point either. No, um, they were a different. First? Sorry. What was the first that came back in? I just no no seeing... they were they were them but they weren't even scientifically described as Azurus. I believe they were considered a different species. 
I just remember I seeing blue ones first at the shows. And yes. Like, and they were so expensive. And everyone was like, they're so hard to keep alive. And so... Do you remember roughly how much they were? Hundreds. And hundreds. we're talking hundreds. Hundreds. And we're talking hundreds back then. Keeping yeah. in mind, a low-end crested gecko back then was $150. Okay. Yeah. And that's like probably two, 300 now. So yeah. like... They were nothing was being produced in the level it is now, and so everything was more expensive. Like, so realistically, hundreds then is like probably 500 now, but it's hard to compare because everything was more expensive back then. Um, makes sense, yeah. So, I got back into dart frogs right away. At one point, I was at like 20 different species of dart frogs and, um, and really enjoyed it. It's how I really got good at doing bioactives and and. and you know, delving into scaping and creating these little habitats. And then, um, as you remember, I messaged you one day. Well, no, for, then I got a lychee. Because even lychees and chewies and Sarah's back then were like, again, like there were no urodactylides. They weren't even here yeah. yet. And it was like, um, chewies came in, Sarah's slowly a couple. I think Northern Gecko got a pair. And then lychees were the big thing northern gecko got the first pair of lychees and everyone was like oh my god like they were like four or five thousand yeah, dollars and it was just it was just i remember seeing mark's lychees the first time and just being just i my mind was blown when i saw them because the idea of this giant this gecko gecko this meat yeah. <laughs> it was so meaty it was and wrinkles <laughs> It was just unbelievable. Yeah. So when I got back in, I was like, I need I need a lychee. Because it was like a new cow I hadn't had. But you were so, keeping Cresties and Gargs. And, I got a lychee first. No, before you left the hobby the first before time. Before I left the hobby, I was doing Gargs and Chewies and Cresties. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I was doing yeah. all the things I could get my hands on for less than $2,000. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, even the Sarahs back then were like two grand. Like, I think I, I had one that I sold right before I got out. And I had a breeding pair of Chewies. But it was only mainland at that point. Um, but yeah, so I got my, for my darts, I got my, my lychee bandaid who I still have. Yes. And, um, then I remember I messaged you one day and I was like, I'm going to get a crusty again. I miss them. Yes. <laughs> and that then there, one crusty turned into, I don't know, hundred and something now. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like probably most of the tanks behind you on that side yes. are, are Actually, crusties. this is not crusties, but if you look over on that side, yeah, yeah. yeah mostly crusties yeah oh so, yeah i got heavily back into the crusties and then um playing the new cow game because that's where my heart always lies gargs you know some of the the colors and gargs it, they were all brown same with mm -hmm. the chewies they were all brown back then so like being able to buy these red gargs and these pink chewies and it was just mind-blowing the, the collared sarah's so i really explored all the different new cows and and neurodactylides because they were the new one. So I ended up getting all the species of urodactylides that are available. You have um, the Villardi, the Agricoli, and the... Oncidentalides and the Symmetricus, yeah. And oh, you have all four? Yeah. I don't oh, wow, know if okay. I the names all right, though. <laughs> okay, yeah. But yeah, so I ended up getting all of them. And um, I probably have around 30 urodactylides right now. Um, and then from there, I started to, to get into snakes, sand boas, which are the only snakes I produce. I just want to say at this point, before you got snakes, you you were saying you would never get snakes. Never. Yes, I never get snakes. When I would vent at the shows 20 years ago, Grant would always go and stick me next to one of the ball python because he tried to like split the people up, you yeah. know, 
geckos, lizards, snakes, and I would always end up next to the ball python breeders, and I'd just be like, why? I can't stand <laughs> Yeah. So when my daughter said she wanted a snake and I was like, no, no snakes. And I, and she said, why? And I said, cause they're scary. I don't like them. They're creepy. You know, yes. they eat big giant rats and I'm a fuzzy person. I like my mammals too. So, and then she found sand boas and she came to me and literally sand boas are, if you ask a child to draw a picture of a snake, they draw a sand boa. They've never seen one, but that's what they draw. That's it's, what they imagine. Yeah. It's basically a long tube with googly eyes and they don't bite and they're very just goofy. And I, how do you say no to that? Like, you're like, same. oh yeah. You can't. So yeah. we ended up getting one of those. And then because, again, that passion has sparked, I ended up getting a few of those. And now I breed them. And you have and, 100 of them. Well, no, 20. But <laughs> it's not. They haven't. My females haven't had their babies yet. So we're still only at 20. We're, we're getting to 100. We're getting, we'll be there by the end of the breeding season. Yeah. Or by the end of this episode. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep my eye on them. Yeah. So snakes, um, just the samboas, and then from there, um, I really kind of paused for a second and tried to think about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go from that. And um, coming from a different time in the hobby where the goal really was to learn and to make animals available. And that's where we were coming with, with, with Crested's was that, you know, they weren't available the way they are now. We were like, these are incredible pets. We need to make them available. Like these are the these should be available in pet stores when people are Everyone going to breed as many as, as many as you can. Well, yeah, we were like the, people shouldn't necessarily just be going to the pet store and buying a leopard gecko or a ball python because those are the two things. Oh, is it daytime now? It is daytime now, but I think we're <laughs> going to make it nighttime again just for the just so that it looks better on the podcast. There we go. There we go. Okay. It's nighttime again. Yes. Um, your animals are like what? <laughs> it's, it's just lightning. It's just lightning. <laughs> Maybe you'll get some breeding behavior. Yeah. Who knows? It's a thunderstorm. So going back to that mindset of like, what do we want to make available for people? What pet is going to make people happy, right? What do we want to produce yeah. that people are going to buy and keep for 15 years? So that's kind of the mindset I started going into. So then I started looking at skinks and, you know, stuff that is really wild caught for the most part and is underappreciated and cheap because it's wild caught. But my light just turned off. Wow. We're like... <laughs> In sync. We're in sync. It's not, oh, there we go. So, um, yeah, so then I got into skinks a little bit and swifts. So the Emerald Swifts, the, um, which are, are hugely underappreciated. So kind of keeping that same mentality of what animals aren't available as and are good pets, let's yeah. make them available. And which animals, you know, second, third, fourth generation captive bred are going to be really wonderful pets versus, you know, the wild caught specimens that we're making our judgments based on. Yeah, so yeah. The, the Emerald Swifts were a really big one. This was my first successful year breeding them and just being able to show people the difference between a wild caught Emerald Swift and a captive bred Emerald Swift that will climb onto your hand. Like it's mind blowing when we have this animal that's look, don't touch. Um, so I got into those. I got into the, obviously the Emerald Tree Skinks, um, you know, something that a wild caught specimen that used to cost us 40 bucks, 30 bucks. And, you know, we thought their lifespan was a few years because they would die quickly. Mm -hmm. And now we know these things live a good amount of time. They can be very docile and fun to keep. This is, you know, not a look, don't touch species getting into those. Um, Go check out my episode last week with Avery. Uh, my female actually came out and sat with us on the podcast. Oh, I believe it. And she was like, I was just handling her for a good like 10 minutes while we were talking. And yeah. they're super, yeah, 
So you told me you were the first one that said because I was like, all right, what do I like? I, I ask people like, what do you think the hobby needs? And you were like, this is going to be a big thing. And yeah, the videos I've seen are really cool. And one thing I am really good at is when I get set on something, I tend to find it. Yes. yes. <laughs> I get yes. hyper focused. Then is the sourcing queen. If you can't find an animal in Ottawa or even in Canada, uh, Jen will find it for you. I in will. Like three if I have hours. to import it, I will import it. I will do what I have to do to get it. And I get very focused. So, you know, I went from like having one male emerald tree skink I happened upon to having like, I think I have eight females right now and three males. Like, and like a hundred babies. We're just going to stick with the number hundred and a hundred babies. Well, it's always a hundred. I like that number. It's yeah. possible. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So the emerald tree skinks. And then um, this year in particular, I've in the last like 14 to 18 months, I've really branched out again in terms of what makes, what brings me joy. So bearded dragons, I did do bearded dragons briefly before I bred, um, just regular bearded dragons for a little bit 15 20 years ago and the size and the smell bothered me so really getting focused on like this is not necessarily this large dragon is not necessarily something that i would recommend to a family with young kids to, to take on but the rankin so like a dwarf bearded dragon like that idea yeah. really got me so i got into those guys to breed them because like you know this is something we can offer when I sell an animal, I want to know that five years from now, you still are enjoying that animal. So yes. I want to produce things that you're going to love and that you're going to want to keep and not just, and I know we have to rehome animals. It happens, but I just, I would like to set my animals up for success. So looking at things like the beard, the rankings dragons are really important. So it's something I've taken on this year. And then the spiders. <laughs> yes, the spiders and the, Scorps, the, the scorps, the yeah. yeah. So I, I have always been terrified of spiders. Like, and again, spiders were not at shows twenty years ago. Like, you had like just your curly hairs that were typically out and about, and that was it. So, um, I really got, really had a lot of fun going to Transhill Canada and Montreal, and just learning about you know what's available, connecting with people who were in the spider industry, you know. 15 years ago as well who are coming back in going this is completely changed this is nothing yeah. we had three options and now we have hundreds and we've learned so much and how you kept a tarantula 15 years ago was standard across the board it was a critter keeper depending and on whatever species it was it was, it was all the same like yeah. we just didn't know and now like we have detailed care sheets for each type and we like it's just it's such a fun there's so much to learn and explore and i don't breed any of my tarantulas i have around 30 or so i don't breed them i don't plan to but this is it's a labor of love like it's something yeah. and i love helping and it's not much of a labor either it really compared isn't. to compared to the other species you're keeping tarantulas it are really uh, isn't yeah. it's full it's all reward it's mm -hmm. all reward for very little work so yeah and it's then crazy the how there's different niches now in the hobby and each niche is taking and expanding in their own niche and everything's yes. becoming bigger and bigger. And it's yeah, so like the spiders you're saying and the dart frogs wasn't a thing. And yeah, wow. it's just crazy. The growth is incredible. And from spider mm -hmm. scorpions. Scorpions, I, scorpions, yes. scorpions, I always was interested in, but again, mm -hmm. back then you had very little option. So getting into different scorpions, the whip scorpions have been really fun to keep. Um, and isopods, I have, you can't see them on camera, but lots and lots of isopods. Again, isopods are so much fun because you can sell a culture here and there as you want. And, you know, yeah. you can use them. They're like a renewable resource that you can continually use. You I can use them for many, many things. And I, 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 whenever I'm traveling or whatever and leaving for a day or two, I'll put some so extra uh, 
uh, isopods in for the dragons to eat or yeah. whatever. Like it's, they're useful. Yeah. And again, it's back to those food yeah. options I mentioned earlier. Like it was like crickets or mealworms, crickets or mealworms. Like now yeah. and people are like, oh, are they going to eat the isopods? Yeah, they might. That's a good thing. Yeah, like, why not? Yeah. Why not? If they want to eat it, <clears> then <throat> you're raising them, you're feeding them. That's the cleanest, most like trustable food source you can give them. So the isopods were another one that I really have enjoyed getting into. So, I mean, overall, I'm at the point now where <laughs> it's like it's snakes, snakes being samboas. I'm expanding a little bit this year into maybe some cricket eaters. I'd like to look at other smaller snakes. I I have a hard time. I think, okay, we're gonna have to go without that. It doesn't want to. <laughs> I have a hard time um, selling uh, ball pythons. I think ball pythons are wonderful, but I think a lot of people who buy them don't necessarily know what they're signing up for the size of enclosure. They're going to need the care they're going to need. Yeah. They're it, just, they're so popular that everybody wants a ball python without actually knowing what it is. They've been around like. the longest. Yeah. That's, really yeah. what it is. They've been around yeah. the longest. So it's just what people go to. So I like, guess why I'm so passionate about the sambo is because when people are like, what snake should I get for my kid? Well, you shouldn't get any snake for your kid. If you're buying a reptile, you're buying a family pet. But yeah. if you are looking for a good family pet, a sand boa is most likely it. And so I'm trying this year to expand in a bit more into looking at other smaller snakes that make really good, you know, family pets that are easy to keep. And that, you know, cricket eaters are something that we haven't really looked at too much in the hobby. Most of the species are just starting to come in and be hopefully captive bred. And it's something that, you know, people can easily get food for, easily keep, and should be really enjoyable for people to have can oh. we give a little sneak peek here oh <laughs> you're saying you're saying you're considering getting into cricket eaters is that the truth is it a consideration or I is, may have already something already put, put on paper yeah okay we, you can talk about that we're, be gonna, awesome. we're gonna have to do an after the expo <laughs> show what did we bring home <laughs> okay just to give people clarity you guys will be hearing this september 10th or i'll be releasing this september 10th Seven days after this is released, uh, me and Jen will both be, and uh, loads of other people uh, from Ottawa are also driving up with us. We're going to all be at the CRBE for two days. Um, and it's, and Jen has been buying animals for, for it to pick up at the CRBE for like six months. Yes. So when she says she's considering things, <laughs> she means she doesn't want to admit that she already owns them until after she picks them up. Just, just to clarify. Watching this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As I said earlier, when I get onto something, that's it. Like just, yeah, I'm all in. So yeah. Yeah. stubborn in a good way. Stubborn in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, so, so yeah, I don't know if you, if you want to talk about those, uh, we'll wait till after. We'll wait till after the expo. I okay. Until I know what I'm doing. Okay. Again, all right. That's fair. I, I think that plays into a lot of this is mm -hmm. that, you shouldn't be afraid to do your research, find out what you want to keep and try it. And it's something that kind of, you know, I, I think often back to, oh, I didn't mention MoMA Euromastics earlier. I had a rescued Euromastics for over 20 years. Yeah. He was with me even when I was out of reptiles, Mo stayed with me and so did the leopard gecko. But um, yeah. it's funny because like, I feel like back then you bought an animal and you felt married to it. Like you felt like you had made this lifetime commitment. And it's important, I think, to go into all pet ownership that way. Considering that this is going to be with you for a long time. Yeah. But when you're in, when you're breeding, when you're in, when you're taking on a reptile room, when it's yeah. not just a, a pet sitting in the corner of your bedroom anymore, I think you have to be willing to do your research and say, this animal is getting me excited because it, it speaks to my passion. You know, do your research, find out how to keep it, keep it that way. 
learn how to keep it better, right? Keeping that animal, learning how to continue to push the hobby along to do it maybe even better and contribute back to the hobby. And you might end up with species that you don't want to, you don't want to breed. Like I ended up thinking I was going to breed lychees and I don't want to breed lychees. It's not, it doesn't speak to me and that's okay. Right. Like, you know, I had 20 species of dart frogs at one point. I have maybe seven or eight now. Like, and it doesn't mean you're, you're neglecting those animals. You're finding good responsible homes for them. You're rehoming them. You're selling them and you're focusing on things that you know, you can do better without the extra distractions yeah exactly you're you're just you're you're learning you're incorporating all this knowledge into into you know who you are as a keeper and you know there's some species that i i just know i'll always have i'm always going to have crested geckos the market can tank and not exist anymore and i'm always going to have crested geckos just because the joy they bring me i'm always going to have sand boas i'm always going to have some dart frogs like these are things i know but i'm willing to experiment to experiment in other areas to find out you know maybe I will decide to bring something in and I will be able to work with it and learn something that helps the hobby. Like the experience I've had with the Emerald Tree Skinks. If I didn't, I might've gotten them in and just not had any love for them and then rehomed them with a breeder who was going to do wonderful things. That's the thing. They spoke to me and I feel I'm proud of what I've learned about it. And I have people message me all the time asking me like, you know, how are you doing this? How are you having success? Like it's same with the um, Emerald Swifts. Like it's really... It, it, it's a when sense I of- first heard about Emerald Swifts, I was told they you there is no way you can handle them. They're a look and watch only pet, and they they're too fast. Mm-hmm. And I've actually seen you handle yours. So you've seen them, right? Yeah, 100%, like, yeah. And I mean, these are not like I'm not grabbing them, and like they're just in the right setup. They have the right conditions. They have like I've learned about who they are as a species, and I'm able to pass that knowledge back on to other people. Um, to the point where one of my followers is now going to be breeding them. Like, yeah, that is what fires me up, right? Yes. Like, now they're going to be breeding them. So fascinating the hobby. Yes, like, can you imagine a day when there's no wild caught emerald swifts anymore? No, like, like that's what we want to be doing. Yeah, that's, well, it's the same thing. Like, there are species that we need to be bringing in wild caught because there's just not enough of them in the hobby, and we're hopefully not affecting the wild population too much. But now that these species are in the hobby. We need people to be focusing on them, breeding them, so we can cut out the wild-caught yeah. imports. But then also, there's the consideration of how are we affecting the wild population when we stop um, collecting from the like wild as collecting. well, right? Like what uh, Dave Kaufman was saying about the ball pythons in in, in Africa. Okay. Um, so there's a lot to consider. There's a lot to consider there, but definitely finding these species especially if the species is endangered in the wild yeah. and breeding them is definitely where the hobby needs to and be stopping the farm breeding because mm-hmm. wild caught is a really um broad term, term. yeah 100%. people imagine somebody going out is it what it's what it used to be it was someone going out with a net and catching and there's still lots of species like any of the wild and not even knowing what they're catching yeah a lot mm-hmm. of the whip scorps unidentified species was something mm-hmm. you saw all the time 20 years ago on something. Yeah. What is it? It's an unidentified species. It wasn't unidentified. It was wild caught and whoever caught it just didn't know what it was yet. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's still stuff like that. Like whip scorpions. If you're buying a wild caught whip scorpion, it was likely field caught because it's easy to do. But now we've gone really into farm breeding. Yes. So 
a lot of things like the emerald tree skinks that we see coming in wild caught typically aren't caught off a tree. No. They're in an enclosed area that has been wild ones have been repopulated into so that they can breed in those ideal conditions and then they take the babies. Yes. But even that, like why? Or collect the eggs and collect yeah. yeah. But it makes so much more sense for us to be doing this within Canada. So that's not ne necessary or within North America. So that And you're reducing the stress of the animals being shipped as well. And the yeah. quality of the animals. Like when I send mm -hmm. pictures of my baby animal tree skinks to people, like I'm always having to send videos to people because they're just like, I don't believe it. Like you have to see, I just posted a reel today just to show people like, and when people get them shipped and they show up and they're like, they're jumping on my arm. And I'm like, I told you yeah. wild caught versus captive bred. And I have some of my wild caught specimens now that are very sweet and tame, but it's taken so much work. Whereas the captive bred babies have always been kept in ideal conditions. They've never had to worry about food. They're used to my hands going into the tank. Like it creates a different, it, it, it creates a domesticated animal, which is what we should be selling. We shouldn't be selling wild animals that need to live in the wild. Yeah, it, that want it, nothing to do with you and are always hiding. And yeah. it also takes people out of the hobby, right? People aren't enjoying the hiding i'm staring at an empty cage what's the point of this i'd rather get a hamster or a dog or something like and that then, it's like no you're just missing out because that animal is not interacting not with you yeah, yeah not happy not interacting it's with not, you it's like, not yeah. domesticated it's not mm -hmm. it would rather be in the wild whereas captive right. ones and you can't take i mean there's a level of instinct but you can't take an animal that's had to hunt for food its whole life and has gone hungry at certain times like that's a natural process yeah. put it in a cage and, it, and it's constantly have food yeah, it, it's a very, it, it, it's a, a shift. I don't want to say an emotional shift because people will argue that reptiles are emotional. I will argue that animal tree skinks are, but anyways. I think all of them are. I definitely think They're that brilliant. reptiles are sent, sent, I can't even say the word sentient. Yeah. Oh, sentient. yeah. I think well, that's not, the right word. I mean, crested geckos, all crested geckos in the world share one brain cell. Yeah. <laughs> So because there's so many crested geckos now, that's why they get dumber and dumber. Because now <laughs> share one has to get shared between every so every time a new crested gecko is born, all crested geckos get dumber. <laughs> yeah, it's just it gets it gets added up and divided again. Yeah, by it that, all one, yeah. Have that one brain cell has more rounds to make. And it's funny like when I'm selling emerald tree skinks and people are like, you know, like, can I put it in a big cage? And I'm like, Yes, you can put baby emerald tree skinks in an adult size cage. Will they find their food? Yes. yes. And I had a, a one of the person who bought them off me said, you know, it's funny because I was feeding a waxworm and the waxworm fell to the ground and the tree skink went down and got the waxworm. Whereas yeah. the crested gecko would go, well, I guess it left time and space. It no longer exists in our <laughs> It universe. no longer exists, yes. <laughs> it would yeah, be like, true. what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. The cricket jumps away. What, what cricket? cricket? <laughs> what? Oh, look, we're yeah. oh, flashy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It doesn't move. <laughs> it doesn't move. It's always there. Yeah. No, but you know i i just you can't take an animal that has that in them and expect the same thing you can from a captive bred animal so while i am in full support of wild caught to establish captive bred populations i think as keepers we really need to be thinking outside of the box and go what species should i be getting what species do i think could spark my attention and get me you know all fired up and that i could make a difference with in the hobby Versus, you know, what species can make me the most amount of money, which is important too, because this costs a lot of money to maintain. Yeah. But, you know, if you don't have, and again, in the 20 years I've been doing this, I've come and gone, come and gone with different, seen different people come and go. And it's funny because like Mark and I were talking um, last year from Northern Gecko and saying like, everybody's gone. Like we were trying to remember there was nobody left who was doing Crested Geckos back then that we could think of who's still doing it now in this area, in the States. Just definitely. you and him. 
But yeah, it was like we couldn't think of anybody else who's still doing it because people, and again, I left the hobby too, so I understand. But like, if you don't have that passion, it's really hard. If you're doing it only for money, it's very, very hard to stay with it because yeah. to do it and to be successful in it, and successful to me doesn't mean making the most money. Successful means keeping a really happy, healthy collection yep. that brings you joy. Yes. It's, hard, it's hard. It's a lot of work. So you really do need to find those species that will continue to spark that joy. And that means experimenting. And that only pushes the hobby forward. Awesome. I think you've listed most of the species you keep. But there's one that you didn't list that I also would like to touch on. Because they're also one of my favorites in your collection. And those are the scorpion geckos. Ah, yes. So the viper geckos. How, viper geckos. Sorry, the viper geckos. Yes. Yes. My bad. Yes. How, 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 how dare you forget them? Yeah. They're adorable. Viper. They're cute. And, and they I have, have, yeah, I have so many yeah. right now too. Do you? All, okay, that's awesome. Well, babies are hatching right now. And I'm actually shipping my first, I'm shipping the first, my first uh, clutch out. It's six months old now. So I'm Nice. Um, so funny, viper geckos. Are you able to sex the babies yet? No. Oh. No. Well, whenever, if you're keeping any back and you're able to sex the babies, I would like a pair. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> viper geckos are funny, and again, it kind of shows these um, these cyclical trends in the hobby. I had viper geckos 15, 20 years ago. Oh, you did. Okay, so they're not your first time. They them. were viper geckos were one of those things I had when I was doing all my online research. We always do. I'd seen them and went, "Oh, this is exciting, right?" Because I like anything that's small. I do like the idea of things that can be kept easily and well in a small enclosure. Because I mean, if Desk you're pets. Breeding... pardon desk pets, yes. Well, realistically, or just like if you're keeping monitors, you have to have a facility. Like if you're gonna have a hundred monitors, and there's people who do it so freaking well, but for the average person who wants to have four or five animals, like you know. I want them to keep their animal well. So going to a smaller animal that you can set up, you know, in a decent sized enclosure and have it be happy its whole life is yeah, kind of yeah. my goal. So Viper geckos got me because of their size. And I got, I think I had about four or five of them breeding um, all those years ago. But back then, again, everybody got into it and you couldn't sell the babies. You could everybody not, had them. Everybody got into it all of a sudden. So we like, you were getting nothing for the babies. So then we all got out of it. And I, 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 I had kept mine for quite a while. I was just, when I was getting out of the hobby, I got out of it. So then when I wanted to get back, once getting back into the hobby, I was like, I want my Viper geckos. I miss them. Like they were such a rewarding species to keep and I couldn't find them. They were nowhere. Like, Why can't I get Viper geckos? Like these things yeah. used to sell so cheap, like couldn't find them anywhere. And then I finally sourced, um, you know, few at a time here and there. And I'm always trying to make sure I source from different places for bloodlines. And, yeah. but, um, so then I got my little colony together and I had people messaging me going, are you producing them? Are you producing them? And like, I have a wait list for Viper geckos, which to me is like mind boggling, but in and the now same, you just added me to that wait list. Yes. There we go. Line <laughs> fatty. Oh yeah. I get to skip the line, <laughs> but it's mind boggling, but it's also not because they're such an incredible species that are easy to keep, very handleable. If you set them up like this um, setup right here behind me, which is an 1818 by 12, and I have a 3 1 in there, like they are happy as. Hold on, I can zoom us into that. There yeah, right there. <laughs> You're like tech savvy. Yeah, a little bit. No, it's the program, but anyway. <laughs> We're living in there, and they're as happy as like pigs and shit. Like that, like that is like such a beautiful setup for them, and it doesn't take that much space on my rack and like so it's such a rewarding easy species to keep 
And how and do you I'm, have them set up? I use sand, which is what we did 20 years ago. And when I looked into it, more and more people were saying, because we went again about 15 years ago, we went into this whole no sand for any species, no sand, no species should be on sand, sand is bad, blah, blah, blah. When you do your research on where any animal comes from, that's where you decide if they need sand or not. And viper geckos come from really rocky kind of alcoves that are, you know, kind of dirt and rock. And like, so I have lots of, I have, a, it's a very coarse sand mix. Um, and then I have lots of wood creating little caves for them, cork for them to go into and hide like they would during the day. I am doing UV mostly because they hide. Okay, now you have to go back out on me because I'm feeling like I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, I was I was keeping it. I was gonna go back out, but I was keeping it because I wanted to ask because you have a lot of um, wood structure in there. Do they actually climb? Do they, they do. use it all? Because they these do. stenos won't really. <laughs> no, they do. Do you have do you have UV for the stenos? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have so, the UV. They um, come out and they'll bask and they'll they have yeah. a little ledge that they'll go up the little ledge to like like three four inches off the ground but they will not climb higher than that so what i found with the vipers is they're not fantabulous climbers like you can sometimes see them on like sticking to the glass but then they'll oh, get no, like and then they fall backwards um and it's kind of adorable but um i they don't like skinny branches they want big thick pieces of wood that almost have like grooves in them okay. right so like um aquarium wood more than anything is what i'm using like more like driftwood kind of stuff that creates more like it, it kind of replicates like a hill kind of going up right and they definitely definitely use that in tubes cork tubes okay i don't know if you've tried that or not but i, I find i'm right up the cork tubes i haven't tried the cork tubes with them no. they, i i'm still on the fence for uv for the vipers mostly because um like i always worry about overexposure it's a mm -hmm. it's a very low one on them and it's like quite a bit higher than their tallest spot and they're never basking during the day under it they'll be on the sand sometimes so they're probably getting like three four percent at that point so it's yeah. not a big deal but um i find like during the day they really want to be not on the ground they want to be a bit higher but in something so the cork tubes kind of leaning up on the wood really make it it's packed it's a packed tank yeah 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 there's I, always somewhere for them to grab always, onto or something and they all have their little areas but they're constantly exploring and like it's but to be able to keep a species like that in an ideal setup because they're so small right like yes. they have a really handleable like friendlier than a leopard gecko if you ask me they're like two 2.5 inches by the way uh, oh yeah they're tiny yeah, i should just for, we should everybody click sure yeah we'll put a picture but just for, for everybody my instagram, instagram. there's lots there but um jj jj on instagram um but basically if you like to have something that's easier to keep than a leopard gecko smaller than a leopard gecko you are never going to be able to set up a big enough setup to properly house a leopard gecko right like really a leopard gecko should be in a 24 long for yeah. its size but you can do that which is the equivalent for how big a, a viper gecko is and like i said they're living their best life so it's why i like really tame small species because i really do feel like people can give them the best without giving up too much space which you can't ask people to do it's why ball pythons to me it's really hard to find an ideal ball python home because who's going to give them a six foot tank an eight foot tank really is what some of them should have yeah. and yeah. it's not realistic they don't exist on the market easily or readily available they're and custom builds there there's no yeah they have to be it's custom hard builds. to sell a dragon or a ball python basically telling the customer ideally you're going to have a custom built enclosure made one day yeah, like that's yeah. a that's a tough pill to swallow but it's something people should be aware of because you know you're going to be able to keep a sand boa 
in a 36 long and it's going to be ridiculously happy in a 24 long and it's going to be very happy. Like, you know, this is something I have on the shelf right now that you can put it in and that, you know, you're giving it the best life possible. So that's kind of where I stand. But yes, the Viper geckos are definitely another. I'm sure sure I said I was going to make a list of all the species I keep before this. And then I didn't. (laughs) I'm sure you forgot as well. I'm I'm sure you forgot some as well. Oh, well, cruise your high low. Uh, see, yeah, I, I can remember species for you. Like, I, I yeah, yeah. Leaf frog. So this is yes. another one that yes. um we, we have to clip in the pictures. Yes, yes. Frizzly frogs, Frizzly hyla, craspidos, craspidopus. Yeah, you're better at names than I am. I'm dyslexic, so I always mix the names up. Um, but yeah, again, back in the day, because you couldn't get dirt frogs easily, I used to keep red eyes and whites red eye tree frogs yep and whites and um just green tree frogs i had as well because i've always loved frogs mm-hmm. and um yeah but like the the fringe leaf frogs which weren't called fringe leaf frogs back then but there was just like you'd see pictures of them like you know on like different forums again back then we, we did forums not facebook but like someone would post a picture of something in europe and you'd just be like oh my god can you imagine if that ever hit the hobby like wouldn't that just be an incredible animal to own and to, and to create and to make available and to learn about so when they first started coming out of europe this was what five or six years ago we started to see them some of the breeders in europe were working with them and they were shipping them canada through different um reputable importers i got three of them I ordered and they were not cheap. There we go. These guys. And again, if you go to my Instagram, you'll see lots of pictures of mine. So they're, 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 how are they real is kind of the question, right? When you see and you're like, Oh, that's gotta be just on the internet. No, they really are just unreal. I mean, beautiful. And they look like that. Yeah. They're they're awesome. Saturated, but yeah. So um, yeah, you got three. I got three. three. And like, you know, most things are, they're frogs, they're sensitive. I think the entire import, everyone I spoke to who'd ordered off that, they didn't make it. There was a couple, I think um, Breeze Exotics was able to keep a couple of theirs from that import that made it. Most of them just didn't make it in. And it's nothing to do with the importer. Or sorry, who, who who did you say, sorry? Breeze Exotics, I think, still has oh, Okay, cool, okay. Um, if I remember correctly. Uh, but yeah, so they just didn't make it. It was incredible to at least even see them, even if they didn't make it, like it was such an incredible. Yeah. Just see them in person. Yeah. So when I found that there was someone in Canada who was basically keeping them and didn't know how they were reproducing, that they were reproducing and had tadpoles, I went like, I'm all in on this. Yeah. I'll buy as many as I can. (laughs) I'll get as many as I can. So I raised them up as tadpoles, which was an incredible experience. And again, having experience raising dirt frog tadpoles also helps. And yeah, now I have my groups that are doing so well. I'm hoping they're sexable soon. Um, but again, this is a species like... Oh, I'm you don't like, have them all together? You have them separated into groups? Well, because I have them from different batches of dart frogs. And okay. now I'm starting to have feelings on which ones are which sex. So now I'm starting to separate them out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. There's such a... I keep saying these should be the white tree frogs of the like frogs, but they are definitely so harder. Hard. Top, yeah, they're they're definitely a more expert frog than you know something and even white tree frogs. I don't think are beginner pets. I I don't think so either. No, they're not. But anyone who's getting a frog should know that a frog is not a gecko, and it's it's a bit more work. So I'm really hoping. I would love to try importing again for some more diverse bloodlines and stuff as mine start to section mature out. But but this is what I was talking about earlier. Like this 
the things that spark your passion and make you want to make things better in the community, right? Like for me, sourcing different bloodlines. I don't want to be just selling a clutch to somebody. Yeah. I want to be having, like with my Emerald Tree Skinks, I'm keeping track of who is who and I'm selling them. I'm selling you from two different and I'm hoping to goodness they go one, one for you. So you can continue yeah. to, you know, and like I'm, one of my males is actually going to be sold because I'm getting another male because I've already got his blood, right? So I want to Yeah, so you're trading it up now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like same with my Viper Geckos. I have a male Viper Gecko because um, I have two groups right now and I have one male who's not paired with anybody and my friend was like, oh, are you going to sell them? And I'm like, no, because a year and a half from now, I'm going to need another unrelated male. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. Part of what keeps you going is that like improving and making things better and creating really healthy animals that you feel good about sending out there that you're representing as what they actually are. Right. Like creating quality animals. Yeah. Yeah. Quality animals that'll Mm. make people happy. Like if an animal doesn't make someone happy, they're not going to keep it. So you just, it, there's no point in creating something that you think people want to buy that you don't have a passion for. Like it's yeah. what's the point in that you want to be doing something that's going to, you know, bring the, the, the hobby forward and what you're going to learn from, and you can contribute what you learned back to the hobby to make keeping better overall. So we've established that you're keeping many, many different species. Um, but what I want to know now is how are you keeping like, how are you keeping all these different species with different needs, uh, with different setups? Are you keeping them all in the same room? Are you keeping them in different rooms? Like, how are you kind of how do you have it set up? The loaded question. I know. I'm sorry. Do you want me to rephrase <laughs> no, the question? It's a good question. It's a good question. So <laughs> anybody who's been following me for a while at my old house, the basement was the reptile room. And um, when we bought this house here, part of why we bought this house was that it has a thousand square foot basement that will eventually be my facility um you've seen it it's phenomenal it's good one day um the main reason why i'm not down there right now is because i want to set it up right from the beginning and because i have four young kids and so when i went from having the reptiles in the basement where i would go away from the family to work on them to having them now they're upstairs in the loft which is connected to our second family room it changed the dynamic of reptile keeping where all of a sudden my kids were always there and they were so much more involved. They were like, they can come into this room and they just know everything. And like, I've said to you many times, like if I need my kids to feed the crested geckos, cause I'm, te- I'm a, a full-time teacher and I do retail consulting at Critter Jungle, the store we both work at. Critter Jungle. Critter Shout Jungle. Um, it's one of the only places I'll sell my animals. I truly do believe in Critter Jungle. I got involved with them about three or four years ago and, uh, I really do. They really support a lot of the same ideals that I believe in in the hobby. So it's been a wonderful partnership. But when, um, yeah, I, get, I just really felt like it was wonderful to be able to have my kids feed the crested geckos, right? Like they just they know how to do it, and I can come home and check and make sure they've done it right. And they, there's just so many things they're able to do now that do make it easier. So having a little mini army of of four experts who've been raised basically with this, who have driven. When I talk about picking what you wanted to, to keep based on your passions. Um, my kids' passions play into that a lot. So, um, you know, like I wouldn't have snakes if it wasn't for my second daughter. And, you know, and, and that's just such a wonderful feeling of like experimenting with something 
and that I would never have delved into. And I have a passion for now too, because of that. And they all have the different things they love. Remember my first tarantula was because of my, because of Dell, my that. daughter, she sent me to the expo when she was like, when you come back, you better have a tarantula. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, um, and now it's just, and, and, and now Charlie's getting into the axolotl. Yes. They're, yeah. they're all just like uh, yeah. in love with it. And yeah, axolotls, like we're getting, we're getting an axolotl and like it's nothing I would ever keep. I wouldn't want an axolotl, but, you know, they have proven their ability to research and learn and know the good and the bad and say, no, I want to do that. Like I have Charlie right now who wants the axolotl. She's doing all my fish tank care right now. Cause I also do have a very small smattering of aquatics yeah, and yeah. like, she's on like, she's a month into doing the filter change, cleaning and changes and the siphoning. And she, I'm like, so can you do it for twice a week for an axolotl? And she's like, I don't enjoy it. Cause these are guppies, but when so I'm an axolotl, yeah. Yes, yeah, so when I'm tong feeding food to my axolotl, like so yeah. that all drives you too, right? That mm -hmm. passion of it. So yeah, so I've ended up keeping the reptile room upstairs in the loft. It's also nice because like I have beautiful views up here and it's um and because it's its own separate, it's actually a bedroom that I'm in right now. So I have separate cooling and separate heating in Quebec. It's, I live in Quebec now and it's very strange how like it's different than most of Ontario. They don't, you don't do furnaces typically here. Electricity is so cheap. So every room tends to have its own, like, um, it's hard to explain. They're like vents and they do heating and cooling, but so you can set the temperature of every room. So it's nice to be able to have temperature controlled area just for this room that I can keep, you know, cooler in the, in the summer, hotter in the winter. I will have to move. And I, um, I've been in chats with my wife about this. Like I'm outgrowing the space <laughs> you've been here. It's, um, you know, it, it's getting tight. You're not outgrowing. You're, you've outgrown it. I've outgrown Unless it. you start piling out of the room, you outgrew it. <laughs> it was that way too. But yeah. I mean, I also have a, um, what's wonderful up here is that I have a bathroom. We have mm -hmm. four bathrooms in the house and that bathroom is literally my reptile bathroom. And it's wonderful because I can quarantine animals there. So yeah. like when I'm bringing new animals in, I can quarantine them in the shower. Like it's like a glass shower that, so like it's, it's nice. I, I have a kitchen up here too, which I mean, it's funny having all of this covered space just for all my reptile supplies. Like I can open it and same in the bathroom. I can open a cabinet. It's just the whole um, shelf of different feeding cup sizes. <laughs> like it's, it's wonderful having that set up up here. So I don't know when I'll move down to the basement, but it's going to happen because I, I am outgrowing it. But mm -hmm. I have to set it up properly because I've gotten so accustomed to having the kitchen, the bathroom, and having the closed-off space. But it'll happen eventually. So short-term keeping it in this bedroom, it is hard because we're talking about keeping species that need it cool, species that need it hot, and um, you know species that need more misting, species that need less misting. We've kind of come into this place in the hobby with automation where I get kind of like, um, I, I get curmudgeon I, I get into the, my old, this was the problem with automation back yeah. in the day when we did it this way. You know, people yeah. set up everything on their Miss King. And, and you and I have had this chat before, right? Where we set up everything on their Miss King. And I'm like, well, this one's too dry and this one's too wet. And it's like, yeah, but the Miss King runs this time every day. So one thing for me is on my starting with the Miss King is runs and people are always like, what do you mean by yeah, runs? Can you explain that please? Yeah. Yes. And I don't know anybody else who's doing this. It's no different than having, you can have four Mist Kings set up and each running to different types of species. For me, yeah. I have one Mist King set up and I have off that Mist King and I'm going to, I'll send you a clip so you can explain this, but off that Mist King, you use the ball valves. 
to turn on and off each run. So a regular mist king can do um, 10 nozzles. The advanced can do 20. The other one it can do 70. 70, which is the one I have. Yes. Um, but and actually, I don't even have that pump set up right now. I have it set up to my 10 nozzle pump just because I haven't needed to use the 70. Um, and I'm kind of waiting to use the 70 when I do the basement. Mm -hmm. But realistically, I don't mist more than 10 cages at a time because I don't have more than 10 cages that need the same misting. So, like, realistically, my misking is automated, but it needs me. I don't set – there is no – I don't set the timer up on my misking. You're still in the room every time I'm the mist is still in the room. And, I, and, you, and I'm not saying you can't automate it and have it come on and off and do a wonderful job. I'm saying I'm an old lady, and this is how we <laughs> – I'm going from, you know, spraying, and I just like to have eyes on my animals. Yeah. Uh, so, for me, I come in the room twice a day. And I turn the Miss King just on to run. Yeah. I go through and I turn on and off each. So, for example, like over here, I've got these, everything on this row and the bottom row are is connected on one run. One run. Because these are all 12, 12, 18s. Um, so, realistically, they all need about the same amount of misting. And I'll look through, and there's times where I'll notice for whatever reason, usually because of pressure, more water will be running, usually to that back corner for some reason. More water will run to that one. So I will disconnect that one from the Mist King and hand mist it for a couple days just to get the, like, that's a, it's, it's a judgment call that we kind of take out of the hobby when we go to automation automation. And it's mm -hmm. something that I actually enjoy. So maybe it's not a judgment on not doing it. It's actually a part of it that really brings me joy is knowing, you know, all of these little details. The science of it still fascinates me. I'm by no means a scientist, but I find it fascinating. So yeah, it's something to say for uh, consistency and regularity as well, right? They're not getting regular rainfalls. It's yeah. not raining in a pattern in the wild. It's, no. You know, it's the same thing with like feeding on a schedule. They're eating whenever they can in the wild. They're not eating a schedule. Why are we putting them on why are we spraying right. them on a schedule? Although I do do it, but I'm just, you know, it's, it's just something to think about. Yeah, right? it's something, it's just another yeah. way to kind of flip it on its head. And realistically, I can put two nozzles in an 18, 18, 24 and one nozzle on a 12, 12, 18 and say they can miss at the same time. But the airflow in the 12, 12, 18 or 18, 18, 24 might be different where even then it might be too much or not enough. Or, you know, I might have a, a glass top on that one because it's dark yes, frogs yeah. versus yes. ventilation. I have um, some of my gargs I find have really hard time with shedding. Gargs often end up with toes missing just because they're not, um, gargs are a bit different than crusties. They don't stick the way crusties do. Yeah. So their actual feet are built a bit different. Mm -hmm. And so gargs typically are most often the ones that end up with toes. Cresties rarely lose toes unless they've really been neglected. So some of my garg tanks, I have half glass on the top. But Just to kind of keep the humidity in more. Yeah. So most of my gargs are actually over on this side. But that means that I can't mist them the same way I'm misting my 12, 12, 18 or my 18, 18, 24 with a screen top. It changes it. So I mostly have them grouped in the room based on misting needs. The main reason for that being is I can set up a run. So like I said, all of these will go, all of these ones here will go off on run, run. I'll turn off that ball valve. The mister is still running, but not running anything. And then I turn on the next ball valve and then it'll do the next section of tanks that have similar misting needs. And even within that, like I said, there's times where I will disconnect a tank from the mist, mist king just because um, it, it it does. You, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes it'll run to one tank more than others. Well, based others on yeah. And I have, I would not be surprised if I have like, I don't even know how many meters of Miss King 
lining running around mm-hmm. this room yeah and that's why i love miss king because i'm i have wood floors here it does not fail my air conditioner yeah. leaked and destroyed part of my floor this summer not my miss king it doesn't no, no. do that no. so you know even with all of those lining get pressure changes and stuff so i like to still be able to disconnect it and make that judgment call the hand miss that um I actually today was working on putting some of my smaller grow outs, my urodactylides. I grow out the babies in um, uh, the 8812s, mm-hmm. but they're really hard to put on a misting system because they're so small. So now I have enough grow outs of those that I can get a run of six of just that side of the tank together. Yeah. So, so the misting is kind of the first thing that I decide on when I'm setting up the areas that they're in. Which How many runs do you have in total, like roughly? Oh, I have, uh, what, I'm trying to look over there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven runs. So seven you're running your misking for like a minute. And in that minute, you're running between seven five runs. Minutes. Five I'm minutes. And between five that, you're running five minutes. Okay. Seven runs. Yeah. Okay. So, cause like I said, it's, it's a full miss cycle and you're also getting a stronger, um, miss yeah. because it's running to so many tanks. We, again, when we talked about this in the blackout video, our daisy training, how it's, it's, yes. it's, a, it's an industry standard. We're all putting cords into cords into cords. Although today I redid a lot of my electrical. So it's like, I think so, it's maybe. less risky. Look <laughs> at my wife a picture. I'm like, I won't burn our house down. Yeah. Um, but you know, or so, now, <laughs> so Miss King kind of turns, it's kind of the same thing. You always overrun your, your mister. Everyone's always nozzles beyond what their nozzles are supposed to be. But if you split your, them into two runs with the ball valves, which are like $4.99 each, you, you're upping how much power is going into those, you know, five specific tanks at a time, and then just turning it off and letting it focus on those five specific tanks at a time. And the mist, if, if the second timer is easy, you just press up, it turns on. And when you're done, you press down, it turns off. Like, yeah. it's really simple to do. It's just, it's taking the idea of automation and just taking a, one step back from it. Like... Mm-hmm. If you could have a mister on every tank, you know, like, or if you could basically have your spray bottle, and you didn't have to touch it. And it you would just watch tell, it, tell it where to spray. And yeah. Tell it to stop basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. it's to me, it's the ideal. But again, I know that doesn't work for everybody, but for me, it really is the ideal. And it has allowed me like in some of my tanks, um, I'm not doing bio balls anymore. I've gone completely away from a drainage layer because I keep everything bioactive. I have none of my, except for my grow out crusties. I usually keep on rusty carpet, but, um, even my growth for my crusties, I'm slowly moving them over to bioactive because it's better. It's healthier. It creates yeah. the plants create a natural humidity. Like mm-hmm. there's just, it's better. So for me, when I'm trying to find eggs, like the bio balls call to me create an issue because it's hard to dig down. You can't get as much substrate. So I've just yeah. gone in some of my recent builds and people are like, what are you doing with a drainage layer? A drainage layer is there for over misting. Yes. Well, like, yes. Yeah. That's what the drainage layer is for. So if I'm not over misting, if there's a natural dry out period that's coming, I have started to have success without using it. So mm-hmm. again, and, and there's no right or wrong way. It's just a different way of thinking in terms of like just putting eyes back on it a bit more. And there's things I see every night that I would miss if I wasn't looking at every cage. Like, you know, there's times where I'm like, Oh, I think she's laying. I didn't think she was due to lay yet, but and you're I'm, seeing that because you're in there I'm all the time. And then I'm knowing which corner she's in, so I know where to go tomorrow to get those mm-hmm. eggs. Like people are like, how easy. do you find your eggs in these bioactives? Because I'm watching them. <laughs> like uh-huh. not an evening goes by, and if I'm leaving, obviously I, there's times where we go to an expo and stuff, and you know you have to leave for a few days. You yeah. can 
you can set up a certain amount of automation that works for three, four days at a time. But beyond that, I can't be gone for more than three or four days anyways, because my animals need to be fed. So that's all I, I can set up a a haphazard short term. And realistically, if you're leaving for two days and you're cresting, you heavily missed on day one and you use rain wrap over the top, they're not going to dry it anyway. So yeah. Like yeah. back in the day, we would probably miss a few times a week. Sometimes we weren't missing enough. But we and, like, <laughs> and season changes. It's it's yeah. even in the most humid places. It's not humid all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, a day or two of, of less humidity is completely natural sometimes. And one thing, because I, I am using electric heat here because I'm in Quebec. Um, one thing that's really interesting is I find in the winter things do dry more just okay. because the heat is drying it out a bit more. So you're mm-hmm. having to up your misting. And there's sometimes where I wonder like, should I just kind of play with that a bit, right? Should I not up the misting to make up for that and just see if that's a natural part that I would actually increase there? Sort of like a cooling period or a yeah. dry period for dart frogs. Or... Exactly. But mm-hmm. without our eyes on them every day for this stuff, and I'm not saying if you're using an automated system, you don't have your eyes on your animals. That's not yeah. true at all. Yeah. But when we rely on automation, when we take automation to the maximum that it can do right down to, it just goes off automatically at seven o'clock and i I don't have to go in the room for three days. We miss some of the best parts of the hobby and we don't even realize it. So that's where like, I'm not, they they could make a system where I wouldn't have to do the runs and I'd probably still do them just because it's ideal for me. It it enriches the hobby for me. So yeah, the runs are a big thing. And then the second thing is definitely heat. I was going to ask, because you have beardies and things that need heat lamps and heat pads. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. Um, my snakes are racked. Um, okay. When I decided to get into samboas, I bought ball python racks. So they're they're big ones. Basically, yeah. samboas need half the size of ball pythons. Bullshit. I, I went the good size racks. The big ones. Okay. The big ones. Um, my baby vipers, I keep racked as well, just because um, my baby my samboa baby samboa rack is the same temperature. Okay. So it's perfect. Um, so my snakes are racked. So they're kind of out of the equation. Um, the and then kind of where it's evolved is that my high heat animals are kind of mostly here okay so that um i can try to mitigate you know too much heat going into other cages so yeah so like my um my uh swifts are here Um, most of my skinks are on this rack my beardies my colony of viper depots they're mostly on this rack. And then I also use this rack for animals that like a higher ambient temperature. Right. But not necessarily. So there's some animals that prefer 25 degrees, right? But a heat lamp is very hard to achieve that. So there's some animals that I might have typically put a heat pad on the side that I don't have to do that because... Because they're so close to where all the heat is. Where all the heat is. Another thing I'm an advocate of is having a very zeroed in... Um, basking spot so and this is one of the things i'm telling people about emerald tree skinks they don't need to have their a big area at 90 degrees right so when you when you have the basking spot super duper duper low and then your heat lamp up here all of this heat in the middle is dispersing throughout the Mm -hmm. tank right so a you're not having as many zones for them to go to because it's getting hot everywhere so your cool zone is is less dialed in and B, you're just wasting heat and spreading it around the room. So I really do try to build basking areas that are comfortable for them. So again, you see there's so much wood in there. Yeah. Yet, because it's, it feels comfortable for them to get up to that basking area. And, and you're you creating one, a gradient now too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You have one little stick that is your basking zone. 
then they're not going to use it and then they're not going to get the heat whereas like for my dragons like i don't know if you can see here like it's a ton of that basking area has so much in it and they have areas that are like the highest part of the point the areas that are lowest and then the heat is right above it so i can go with a lower wattage bulb because the hottest area is literally right under that right. light so i'm not like people are saying you need a 150 watt bulb for dragons well sure if you have it two feet above the tank like but that's yeah. not just to get yeah 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 because nobody everybody creates flat when it comes to air they immediately think flat they don't yeah. think they can climb so they don't create that we're trying to get that heat down and coming like, down no, to I'm, the bottom i'm bringing the landscape up to the heat which is mm -hmm. which is what nature is like yeah. you look at dragons you look at viper geckos you look at these species that live on rock cliffs basically right like and they're, they're climbing up the rocks they're to get climbing to the up they're, they're basking on the rocks and then at mm -hmm. night they're going down and burrowing under so it's kind of just really trying to be efficient. And again, I'm not saying you can't have a big tank with a two foot above 150 watt bulb by all means, but when yeah. you have to be efficient with your space and when you have to be efficient with your, your setups, lower wattage overall is going to put less heat into the room and having a, a natural basking area that replicates terrain and gets closer to that heat point can cut down 50 to hundred Watts. So it's just, it's cheaper. It's safer. And it just helps for keeping animals in a small space. Um, and there's something the to say for us keeping our animals too hot anyway. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah. Too, right? yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because somebody was asking me the other day, like, how many how many hours should your lights be on? And that's a whole debate that mm -hmm. is happening in the hobby now. Like, 12 hours on, 12 hours off, 12 months of the year? No. Not really. Like, not really. And when you're a plant keeper, it's funny because I, I do plants as well. And we force grow plants because they're plants. Yeah. We will do 13-hour days on plants to get them to grow faster. And then we started to realize that actually some of those plants weren't actually as healthy. They were they were crashing once they were outside of ideal environments. When mm -hmm. someone would buy that plant and put it on, on their windowsill, the plant was crashing. So, like, when we're forcing, you know, something onto it, it's not necessarily creating a healthy animal. So trying to replicate like my lights do go on less time in the winter Mine too. Have, yeah like i think it's important to yeah. replicate that like yeah we don't need our animal up eating for 12 hours every single day like i don't know like i go to bed earlier in the winter too <laughs> like, yeah yeah no 100 especially, especially here especially yeah. here but yeah I no. winter than i do in the summer in the summer yeah. i'm go 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 and then the winter it's like catch up on that so yeah. and gives them a break too it does have to sleep have sleep. and some of them it, for breeding like, season behavior for some of them that's what actually stimulates that behavior right like we talk about dry out periods like yes. in the winter playing with the fact that it's drier is mm -hmm. can actually help stimulate behaviors and crested geckos and stuff we've gone away from breeding seasons because they'll breed all year because we always keep them in the same conditions all year yeah all year and it's like i don't know like is that good or is that bad like something it's something just to think about and play with so lights are the other big thing. Um, and then just really efficient keeping, I think, is the other thing. Like, um, I'm going to do, I'll give you a clip to show, like, what the room looks like. Yeah, so I was going to ask if you can give us a bit of a tour. Yeah, right? Okay, yeah. that, that works too. Yeah. So really just looking at, like, what is the minimum size enclosure I feel comfortable keeping my animal in, which for me is usually about 18, 18, 24 for crested geckos and um, 12, 12, 18 for groats and stuff like that. So for me, like finding bins, like a lot of people have asked me about my front opening bins I use for my crested geckos, like finding bins that work for me and not buying one bin. 
you find a bin system that works for you that you can do bioactive in that is clear and allows you to open from the front. You buy 15 of those. (laughs) I made the mistake. They don't make my bin anymore. I can't get it anymore. And so neither could I. Yes. And then (laughs) so it's really a matter of like when you find it, buy lots of it because having a lot of the same really makes it efficient. It It allows me to keep most of my breeders over on that side of the room, which is the coolest side of the room, closest to the air conditioner, which brings me back to independent heating and cooling. And I know that's difficult in houses with furnaces. And I know we talked about this in the blackout episode, having independent heating and cooling for power outages, but it's important even just for day to day. So for me, like I have a, a floor unit air conditioner that runs in here. Basically, from sometimes end of March, sometimes as early as end of March, it's always installed by April because we start having days. As soon as it goes over 20 degrees outside, I have to have my air conditioner running. Mm-hmm. There's just too much going in here. And this it's air conditioner, hot. it's too hot. I have too much running in one room. And this air conditioner is rated for like, I don't know, eight, nine times the space I have in here. And I'm upgrading it next year <laughs> just because I don't want to be worried. Because there's times where like, in, like if it's 40 degrees out, I'll turn my lights off sometimes just because I'm not going to risk it. I get an alert to my phone if it goes over 23 degrees in here. And then I just turn the lights off for the day. 23 degrees. What do you keep the ambient at? I like to keep the ambient around 21, 22. Okay. So as soon as it goes above 23, I get an alert to my phone. And then I just, and if I'm not, if I'm not at home, I kill the lights because that's the instant thing I can control. It's if I am, to, uh, yeah, yeah, because I can do that for my phone. But if I am at home, I'll come up and I'll see like why it's at that. Adding fans often will help, but yeah, I don't like it to go above 23 degrees in here, just because I am keeping newts, crested geckos, like those are things that. Which is another thing you didn't mention, by the way, the newts, but. Oh yeah, so we'll, let those, slide. we'll, we'll let those slide. We'll think of more species as we go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, really, okay, trying, so- yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Really uh, trying to keep the similar species together. Make sure I'm keeping them in similar setups so that I can use more of those setups. Like if you see up here, these are my five gallon grow outs for crested geckos. You and I said like we found these acrylic. I love five them. gallons years ago and you and I had gone in on it together and we bought everything <laughs> and now we're like and we didn't buy everything that was a problem Remember? we bought a lot of them though we bought a lot of them but we should yeah. now we're like kicking ourselves because okay, right, yeah. I could have stacked these up because I liked like a lot of breeders and they stack by the way they stack yeah. a lot of breeders will raise crested geckos in groups which is I honestly think is perfectly fine I don't like to do that I like to keep them individually and yeah. like, have like 20 of these stacked like I, I like to keep them as individually as well but yeah yeah but you know so just being able to have the space to keep them the way that you feel comfortable keeping them is nice so just I wish buying more of the same it's it's a racking system is what it comes down to snake snake racks have the same bins on them mm-hmm. so when you go into a reptile room setting up shelves for the same size is what makes sense right if you're setting and it up it looks aesthetically better too yeah like if I'm just gonna do this yeah like hatchling setups right like yeah having the same size you know hatchling setups as opposed to having you know 10 different sizes of hatchling setups allows me to keep one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen sixteen crested gecko babies on one little tiny shelf there like so just trying to automate kind of what you're keeping them in so that it's a lot of the same you can keep it in one area of the room and then independent heating and cooling is really key so that in the winter, if it's too cold, you can up it with with a space heater. With a closed door is key, especially most reptile keepers or have other animals in the house. So it's usually a good idea to be able to close up your reptile room. The amount of 
you have if you keep reptiles, reptiles get out. It happens. If you're keeping a lot of it, it's gonna happen. So I do think it's nice if you can close the door and be able to just make it a controlled climate and always know that that snake's gonna be in here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I'll get to it at some point. I'll get to it at some point. I'll find it. Usually my daughter finds it, but and yes. then having the heating and cooling in that area, and then just really focusing your heat on that terrain so that you're not just heating your whole room up. Okay, so a lot of common thing that we're hearing very frequently now, um, a lot of people are talking about it. It's becoming more common in the hobby is burnout or getting overwhelmed. And with keeping so many of these animals and so many different animals as well, how are you not burning out or getting overwhelmed with your collection? It's important. It's a really important thing to be talking about, I think, in the hobby. And I think it's almost like a shameful thing for a lot of people that people don't yeah, want but... to talk about it. And I, I can say like I left the hobby 15 years ago and only kept a couple things for many years after that and part of why I did that was because I wanted to travel I wanted to have kids yeah. I didn't I didn't want to let animals be neglected while I was doing all those parts of my life so yeah. I think we have to look at burnout separate from taking a break from the hobby and we need to mitigate how we build up our collection so that if we do take take a break from the hobby, it, we can foresee it and it doesn't become a huge stressful thing to do. So personally, when I got out of the hobby, I, I knew who was taking my geckos. It was a slow process of, you know, tapering down. Getting the room, yeah. And then and I said, and I kept a few things for many years after that. Yeah. Um, for me personally, getting back in this time around, it was it was a slow build. Buying a reptile is a unique high. It's hard. I mean, anyone watching the, watching this will know it or listening to this will know it because they're in it. Yeah. But it's really hard to explain what buying a reptile feels like. It's not like buying a pair of shoes. It's nothing like that because you're you're excited to learn about it and you're excited to like you're excited about more than just owning it. You're excited oh about God. what can you can do with it, what can it can offer you, what you're going to learn what everything, how long. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, yeah. and like I said earlier, I don't think we should be afraid to experiment with species. I don't be, think we should be afraid to say, you know what? I'll try Samboas. I don't like snakes. And maybe I wouldn't have liked Samboas. I bought yeah. one to get started. And if I had decided, no, I don't like it and decided to, to resell it to somebody who's into Samboas or wants a pet Samboa, that's okay. And I think we have to get into that as we're really looking at like, the Instagram generation, the YouTube generation, where it's like, I need content. I need content. I need content. I need to buy this. I need to make a video about it. And I don't want to get rid of it because then someone might ask me what happened to it. I think yeah. it's important that we talk about the fact that it's good to try something new because then you might fall in love with it and change how the hobby views that species. But don't buy an animal to make content. But don't buy an animal. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Exactly. And you have yeah. to always have your buying in check. You have to yeah. ask why am I buying this? If I bought everything I wanted to buy, I would be overwhelmed. And broke. Would be and bro well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're always broke. If I'm well, people, as, but, yeah, that's true. But yeah. But uh, but you'd be, honestly, more so than being in debt would be over. It's a feeling of being overwhelmed is the worst feeling in this hobby. Because the thing that brings you joy then makes you feel like shit. And that's the worst. When the thing that brings you joy suddenly causes you anxiety and shame and fear, that's not good. And I think a lot of people start buying and buying and buying because they think that's what reptile keeping is. We have projected this image of reptile keeping is having a reptile room. 
Yeah, it's, it's it's how big a collection you can be. It's people think that the bigger the collection, the better the keeper. The yeah. it's it's yeah, it's looked at the wrong way. You're right. There's often times where I will bring a new species in, like even you're asking. I don't want to talk about it yet. Like I don't want to. I don't want to show that. And it's the same in the plant industry. And I know. I mean, I was a very big collector. I'm not as collecting the way I was before. But it was just, what's the next plant you have? What's you know? Oh, this is a new plant. I have to have it, or I'm not good enough. And. Yeah. And then just watering all the plants makes you makes you miserable. Like, and yeah. then you lose so a plant. You have too many, and you're like, I'm just keeping this for the image, not yeah. because I love. And it. then you lose a plant that you paid money for, and you feel like yeah. shit. But yeah. that's plants. Yeah. If you let an animal die, that's animal cruelty. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, it's a whole other story. Yeah, hundred percent. You being overwhelmed. That's you, you know, making bad decisions, and you have to change something. So I think we have to really support people trying new things and then changing their mind and going, this thing doesn't bring me joy and, and reselling. And cause that's reselling is part of the, is the industry. We are importing, we are producing, we're, we're breeding to sell. And yeah. we are, like I said, like I'm, I I'll sell one of my males because I'm re replacing with another male. I don't have to keep him forever. He can now be a part of somebody else's projects or he could be an incredible pet for somebody, right? Yeah. All of my crested gecko breeders like have completely turned over in the last little while just because I think it's important to really be focused on quality animals when you're producing crested geckos. So like, that's okay. It doesn't, there's no like pride in like, but I keep them all in the end. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, they're not all. I agree. No, yeah. like and also, if you're keeping them all and you're not keeping them all to the best of your abilities, then, then the why keep them at all? Yeah, 100%. So I think it's kind of twofold. I think we really need to be dismantling this idea of needing to own all the things to be worthy in this hobby. Yes. And um, I think we also need to be promoting the idea of don't be afraid to try a species and then decide it's not for you. You do not need to then keep that species you're not evil like, if you're rehome. No, you're not. Or rehome. We don't even want to say resell. Yeah, rehome. Yeah, it, yeah. Like it's it's okay to sell it. Like yeah, yeah. Like there's this industry is growing all the time. People are constantly looking for things and like coming into the industry and joining. And industry. Yes, mm -hmm. when you purchase an animal, you need to put thought into it, and again, that goes back to the, like not trying to have this huge collection. When I'm buying something, I'm looking into it. I'm I'm trying to make a decision on what I want for me. And then I'm looking at the space I have. If I want to bring in another Chewy, I should move out one of my breeders that I have enough of the bloodlines for first. Or mm -hmm. I'm deciding, no, I have space for this and I'm taking them all on, but I have to be conscious of that decision, right? Whereas opposed to just add it to the rack, add it to the rack, add it to the rack. And then for a lot of the keepers I see experiencing burnout, all of a sudden either something in their life changes or they just wake up one day and they're like, I, this is three hours a day of work. And it, it, it compounds. Yeah. And they're not happy anymore. And then they're not happy anymore. Or this is costing me too much. Because that's the flip side of it too. A cricket bill, when you start taking on anything that doesn't just eat. Even Apache. Like I go through the giant jug of Apache almost every week. <laughs> like, Whereas where you have one when you have one crested gecko, that small bottle of Apache is lasting you months. Months. And exactly. It, it definitely makes a difference. You're right. It makes yeah. a difference. So you really have to be conscious of this stuff. And... You know, the, the joy of buying something is not worth the angst of feeling overwhelmed in your reptile room. So for me personally, I can tell you what is in every single, and you know how many containers and cages are in this room. <laughs> I can tell you what is in every single thing. And if you ask me, why is it still here? I can tell you. Yeah. And, yeah. and when I can't say, why is it still here? 
then I sell it and I find the right home he wants it to have. And it's, I've done that. Like I said, I had 20 features of dart frogs and I don't need more. And that's okay. The ones that are still here are here because they're still bringing me joy. And the other ones are in other people's breeding projects, doing wonderful things that I didn't have. There we go. I didn't, (laughs) I didn't have the passion to do anymore. Right. And you might hit a point where you, very few breeders are breeding only what they bred from the very first day. Oh, of course. Yeah. You got to. You it, breeding itself is a challenge, and and you know it's if if you've mastered the challenge and you're doing it with your eyes closed, then either you're doing it for money, and yeah. they, there's not always money in it, and mm-hmm. the other reason is you're doing it because you truly love it. But if you're doing it because you truly love it, then you want to advance and you want to find the next challenge and you want to uh, yeah yeah you we have to be moving forward. Once you become stagnant, then you become burnt out. And then when you're looking around yourself going, I can't do the things I want to do because of this space. And then, and I see people who I, who get out completely. And sometimes I'm sad because I'm like, maybe like I even for myself, if I'd cut back a little bit, even 15 years ago, instead of getting completely out of it, would I have been happier? Maybe. Right. Like it yeah. was too big for me for all the things I wanted to do. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I continued breeding just a couple during that time. But when you get so big, it's hard, right? It's hard to just cut back a little bit. And and now, and back then we did not have this Instagram culture, this YouTube culture of content, 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 content drives everything. People are buying things, thinking about the real, thinking about the TikTok, thinking about the YouTube pod. Don't buy animals to make content. I'll say it again. Please don't buy animals to make content. (laughs) You don't have to like go to, go to an expo, find an animal you love and you can make content about it without owning it. (laughs) Like Exactly. You really can. Yeah. hundred percent. I see that for scapes too. Cause it's funny because people are always like all these incredible scapes you see on YouTube. And it's like, how many of those scapes still exist a year from that, from that build? That's what I wonder sometimes with some of these skates. When you're creating a skate for content versus when you're creating a skate for an animal specifically to live in your house, it's two different things. And I've done both. So, you know, thinking about it actually being in your house and you finding joy from it and then also knowing, no, this isn't bringing me joy. And the next step is rehoming it and finding what does bring you joy. Since the expo's in a couple of days, I figured we might as well talk about some expo tips and tricks some things we do at the expo, um, you know, highlight mm-hmm. some of the things that will be happening in the expo in a couple of weeks or since when you'll be hearing this next week. Um, oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm too, too excited. It's like the only thing we've been talking about. Yeah, um, we, live, we live for these. Like <laughs> We really, really do. Um, we wait all year. And, 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 and the reptile expos are awesome. Uh, every, yeah. The monthly reptile expos are awesome. But the CRBE is going to be it's something else. It's, it really is, uh, if anybody hasn't had a chance to look, if you're in Canada and you're planning to come and you haven't had a chance to look at the floor plan, please do. Um, it's going to be so exciting. But that's not what we're here for. Jen, let me ask you this. You're going, we live in Ottawa. Yes. The expos rarely ever happen in Ottawa. They haven't happened in Ottawa in like years. years. So we drive up to Toronto. So I'm asking you, what are some things that you take with you before you go to the expo so that you're ready for the drive back? when you have the animals that you purchased at the expo and then like, what are some things that you do to make sure that they're staying safe in the journey? And like this time we're staying there for multiple days. And if you happen to buy an animal on day one, what are you going to do to keep it safe while we're there? That that kind of thing. So leading up to the expo, I'm sourcing. That is like 
most of my purchasing typically will happen around the expos because I told you she's already been buying animals. I'm not yes. lying. <laughs> not compulsively. Like I'm talking no, no, about of course. that I've been planning on for years. Like I've been like, like I said, like the, the friendly frogs was 10 years in the making before I got them. Like, yeah. so I'm reaching out to people. You're, you're looking in the community for who has what, cause not, we don't actually, we have morph market, but in Canada, it's not what it is in the U S if you're watching from the U S I'm like, like I, 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 it's starting to take off, but it's not like that. So for us, most of it's done through Facebook and Instagram and just word. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I'm terrible. I'm so bad for listing my own animals also. Like if I have something you're looking for, you're better off to contact me through Instagram. That's where I do most of my sales. And then it's mostly word of mouth. In, in and I will I will jump in and say that we will also be able to bring animals up from Ottawa with us to Toronto. And Jen has a lot of animals. I do. So I will, we'll say this afterwards. But if you are interested, message Jen. Get yourself ready. So do you. And, and I, well, yeah, I also are have. Bringing, are you bringing stuff to sell? Like I am. I am. I'm bringing frogs. I'm bringing stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, people are it's looking It's not for just vending at the show. Like, yes, the vendors are going to have really cool things, but it's also about um, just having everybody in the same city for a few days so that you can kind of figure out who has what. And then you're able to kind of. Community network, trade, sell, buy. You're buy. not going to see emerald tree skinks on a table at no. the expo. No. You're not going to see the morphs of Samboas I'm looking for, the type of snake I'm looking for on a table. I mean, if, yeah. if, if I do, I'll buy it. But, like, yeah. you know, those were the impulse balls buys will come in. But, like, realistically, most of what – if you're looking for specific things, you usually have to contact ahead of time and pre-order. When I first got my Viper Geckos, like, I remember walking around the show with it. And I was like, where did you find those? And I'm like, well, they weren't on a table. Like, it was yeah. – Yeah, I bought them in advance and I picked them up here. And especially when you get into like, I don't want to say high end animals because I hate categorizing and like eliting, but like certain animals, they more can, advanced. Animals. Yeah, species, rarer species that people aren't necessarily going to bring and put on a table because the chances of it selling is lower. It has to be someone looking for that species. And so they might not have it on a table. And you might talk to that vendor at the show and they're like, I have that, but it's back in BC because I didn't know somebody wanted to buy I it. I wanted to bring it, yeah, yeah. And then you're stuck shipping. And we do have shipping options now in Canada, but nothing is as good as someone handing it to you and not having to go through FedEx. So realistically, yeah. it's just, you save yourself. Especially your with what's happening with FedEx right now. Especially with what's happening with FedEx. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I have people that I would have shipped animals to that right now. I just prefer just to, if we're going to see each other in a few weeks, let's just do the handoff there. It saves you money. It saves stress on my animal. It's just nicer. So yeah. So contacting people, finding out who breeds, what you're looking for and doing all that legwork. It makes a purchase more fun because it spreads it out anyway. Yeah. And, it, and it prevents the impulse buys that you might regret later. It, it, it prevents you showing up at the show and going, I wanted to buy something. And I didn't find anything that piqued my interest. So this is good enough. <laughs> like, yeah. Which, which, you know, it's sad to say, but people do do it. Yeah. And yeah. typically, and again, we all, I have done it. We've all done it. And then you have to like resell to the person who did want that animal. But you know, it's just, you want to prevent that. You want to be able to buy things that are going to bring you joy. So reaching out to the breeders ahead of time is really important. And then traveling. So, I mean, there's breeders coming from out West, from out East, like, you know, people have to deli cup things. For the the show. animals are already in the deli cups for a day or two at this point already. Yes, exactly. And and if you're going, I know a lot of people going for the full two days and staying overnight like we are. Like so, like I'm bringing, I'm bringing um, bins for everything I know I've purchased, not the permanent homes, but bins that are large enough for them to be comfortable in for a couple of days, so that I can enjoy myself and not be stressed out about mm -hmm. that animal sitting back at a hotel. Like um, heat pads, I bring low wattage heat pads. 
Um, cause again, I don't want to set up an animal in a bin with a hundred degrees. If it needs a hundred degrees, I don't want to start bringing all kinds of, um, thermostats and stuff. So I just, I love those like four to eight watt heat pads because they're a very consistent, like lower temperature, but it gives them some belly heat for a couple of days in a bin. Yeah. Um, and then extra bins for something that might pop up There's species I'm looking for that if I see at the show, I'm going to buy that I don't want to have stuck in a deli cup for two days while I'm there. And also, if you do pick up something you didn't have something for, run out to the doll store and grab a bin. Like, not being afraid to find something to keep, to avoid it staying in that deli cup for two days. Like, we get a lot of flack in this hobby for how expos are run. We get a lot of bad press for the fact that these animals are in little deli cups. But those deli cups are meant to be for a couple of hours. Most of these breeders coming are showing up with bins and then cupping them and then going back to bins. Like, yeah. that's how we do this safely. And you know, for the animals comfortable. So just trying to, as a, a keeper, also trying to reproduce that so that it's comfortable. And so you can enjoy yourself. So that's huge. And we've said this in other episodes, styrofoam containers. Yes. Like there's a reason people are like, why are there no reptile shows in July? It's hot. It's too it's hot. Nothing will, nothing. Will, yeah. And, and yes, you can definitely safely transport animals in July, but the majority of people won't. And so it's too much risk. So, but even in September, it can be hot. Like, so yeah. having coolers, having heat packs and cool packs. So you've got both options. If it, for some reason it's minus five that day, you can use a heat pack to keep the cooler warmer. And if some reason it's 35, because we live in Canada, it could be either. Yeah, <laughs> like, true. It, it, could, it could be five degrees in the morning and 35 in the evening. Yeah, you know, having yeah. cool packs that you, they're easy to get and you crack them open and they run for 12 to, to 72 hours so that you can keep it like we're planning our car right up and we're just like, okay, where's the cooler going to go? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, 100%. And you know, another thing I'll add to that list also, um, and something actually that I learned from you is uh, wrapping paper and things to kind of keep the deli cups or whatever. Once you put the animal in the styrofoam box, you don't want them to be bouncing around either. So you're going to want them to stay in place. Painter's tape. Painter's tape is another good Painter's one. Painter's tape, when you're, if you've shipped animals, you typically, you tape down painter tape is great because it doesn't get stuck to things it comes off easily afterwards but you just tape the deli cups down so same idea when you're driving painter get paper painter tape for this one i'll bring some don't worry <laughs> <laughs> but painter yeah. tape to be able to hold them down and a one day show is different than a two or three day show like mm -hmm. this is as the hobby's advancing in canada we can start to have these kind of shows like be yes. prepared for you know you want there's different talks on different days and such that so you want to be there for the whole like we'll be there opening the close they'll be dragging our asses out of there so but i want to be able to purchase i can guarantee it they will be dragging oh, me out of there <laughs> and um i want to have i want to be able to have my animals safe you know that i'm not worried about them when i'm going back that second day so really ways to transport them coolers and coolers are not just for cold or just for hot they're for both having ways to control the temperature in those coolers and having extra just, just shoebox size bins is going to be better for a leopard gecko you decided to pick up last minute than leaving it in a deli cup for... I never travel anywhere without bins. Like, my wife is always complaining because the back of my car always has different bins. There's almost always a heat pad back there. There's almost always a cooler. Because I source things. So I might be in Hamilton and find a store I didn't know about and source something that I knew somebody was looking for. Just pick it up on the spot and bring it back. But that animal is like, I picked up a blue tongue skink for somebody in Peterborough a couple weeks ago. And it's like, I had something with me to comfortably house that blue tongue skink for that it's time. A bit warm and, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so just trying to also trying to get rid of some of that stigma in the hobby that we just put these things in little tiny boxes and 
so we can enjoy them like and so that they're ours like no the animal care is important and yes you're going to be walking around the show with your deli cups and there's something about holding your new animal if you walk around the show but you know once you get back to your hotel setting them up in something short term so that they're comfortable i think is really important and yeah, we're and supporting animals with us so we'll be yes. setting like and like I know for me, I have people meeting me on the first day when I get there because they want to get their animal right away before the show because we're going up on the Friday. So, you know, maybe even trying to get those purchases done ahead of time so that once you're at the show, that's already said done and you're not, you don't have one more animal that you have to figure out after the show. 100%. And I know you, you already talked about like buying the animals ahead of time and sourcing them ahead of time, but is there something that you're looking for at the expo? Always. Always. <laughs> There's always things. There's, always there's so too. many. And there's things that I, I, you don't always know what you're looking for. There's certain categories of animals. There's scorpions, I'm sure, that I would love to own that I don't know about yet. And that's why these expos are amazing because you can go over to a booth and chat with somebody and be like, yep, this fits my bill and I want to try this. Like there's new things in the hobby all the time and nobody yeah. knows everything. So definitely, you know, I'm looking for, like I said, certain types of snakes that I might be willing to branch out into. I'm really interested in skinks right now. Um, I definitely would like to, I, I've got my emeralds set up. My olives are the olive tree skinks are also something I'm really enjoying. Um, you know, I saw black ones the other day, all black. Yes. So I, I've seen a few pictures, but apparently they're very skittish. I, yeah. Okay. We might've been looking at the same thing. Cause that's also yeah. what they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but like, you know, that's something that if I saw on a table because I'm trying to learn more about skinks and get more information out there, I might pick them up and I, and it might not be the species for me or it might, you know, incite a passion that's going to now make those available captive bread. So that's the kind of thing that, yeah, always looking, but again, just not going into that show with the idea of I have to buy something. You can go to these shows and that just was my turn and just like and and plan for a year from now yeah like yeah. talk to people who are keeping things that aren't even available yet and be like yep this is something i'm gonna want to get into and, and it's expensive it's an expensive hobby the more you bring in the more you have to produce which is a really scary kind of uh, place to get into because like your cricket bill goes up your heating bill goes up your supply bill goes up so like you start feeling this pressure to produce so just also keeping in mind what you bring home and what it costs. And, you know, you can want something and not need to get it right now. Like if something's out there, realistically, people are going to be start working with it. If it's, you know what I mean? Like you don't buy it, somebody else will. And will yeah. Hopefully we'll be working and breeding. And we'll hopefully be working and breeding with it. And there's always going to be a market. Like I, I know people talk about certain animals crashing, the market crashing. I've watched this so many times. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. I've watched Crest. I said Viper geckos. You couldn't sell them, and now they're impossible to get. We were talking about Santa Isabella dart frogs. How yeah, all of they sudden, were, yeah, everywhere, and then now they're nowhere. And now they're nowhere. Like, yeah. and so you know, it's everything's cyclical. You can't like start freaking out because something isn't available right now. Like, it's just a matter of t taking your time and waiting, and not impulse buying something, but also not letting something pass up that you know you're ready for and that you want. Yeah. And that you you have the setup for and you know but we all have those we all have those things but like you for the there was one of the, the one species of dart frogs you walked away from at a show like five years ago do you know what it was do you remember what, what it was colombians no what was it it's the ancas it was the ancas it was the ancas because i told you these you are did tell me yeah 
yeah, so that's funny. So they were an endangered species. They were barely seen anywhere. I can't even remember what booth they were on, but you pointed them out. And I was like, I love them. They're beautiful. And then I decided this against doing it. And I think it's been four years now. Has yeah. it been four years? Oh, I'm yeah. Happy to report, I finally have ankas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it yeah. all happens. Like, and you yeah. kick yourself about that. And then yeah. it just. And I also got them more expensive than they were at that booth that day. So that's hilarious. Yeah. So that is hilarious. I no, do have hundreds of them now, though. Yeah. I have <laughs> so, them too. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. They're beautiful. Yeah. They're wonderful people. frogs. Yeah. But uh, if anybody wants to pick some up at the expo, um, if anybody wants to pick some up at the expo, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Yes. Bonnie does have incredible frogs, but yeah, so yeah. it's just a matter of, you know, don't not letting things pass up, but also being able to, you know, check yourself and not make impulse buys. It's so hard at an expo because it's like, it is impulsive. It's like, it's impulsive. if I walk away, someone else is going to buy it. Yeah. And, and yeah, you, you don't even have just like, oh, I can think about it for a few hours because you could walk away and somebody's walking up to the booth in two, three minutes. And I decided to breed leeches because of an impulse buy at an expo. Right, and then when I don't want to breed leeches, what am I doing? <laughs> like, yeah, after like six months later, even yeah, 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 hundred percent. Wait a second, but you know we all do it, but trying to limit that as much as possible, I think, is key. Other than buying animals, what's one other thing that you're excited excited about for the expo? The people, the people, the people, yeah. the community. And again, we mentioned this in the blackout episode. This community is incredible. There's people I met. 20 years ago that aren't in the, the hobby anymore that I'm still in contact with. Like it's, um, yes. and like, even like these big breeders that you see, like the majority of them still want to chat. Like yeah, the people, downstairs people that want to talk hundred percent. Yeah. People I talk with breeders. I talk with, um, on Instagram all the time. And it's like the, see them in person i was gonna say that's another thing people you've never met before that you're chatting yeah. with daily and yeah. then suddenly you're, you're finally getting to meet them like being able to just like sit there and be excited about our silly little thing that brings us joy together and yeah. like just geek out over these things and find out what projects they have on the go there's stuff that i don't talk about you know with everybody you know oh, i have line my of just yeah exactly yeah, i have my spider people and i have my scorpion people and i have my gecko people my snake people and 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 it's exciting to just get with those people and have those conversations and like like we're we're going to be staying with a group of people like it's going to be fun watching what they're excited about not just what they buy but like what they find at a table cuz yeah. you can go by the same table three times and, and not you, see miss, you miss it yeah, and yeah. it's like, and then they bring you back and go look at this, and like sometimes just seeing it on the table is all I needed. I didn't need to own that animal. I needed yeah. to say I've seen that animal. That's what I like about in being person. Yes, yeah, I like being at the store because you get to work with a species that you don't necessarily want to keep. But now you've added that experience. So being able to ask how is this animal kept and like you know it just helps you when you're talking to someone else later on who's interested in an animal oh i know a breeder for it and yes exactly yeah gathering those contacts those resources and again you can have one leopard gecko and just enjoy being there without ever planning to have another like it's just yeah. it's a great atmosphere so the people are to me what i am most excited about just hanging with the people who love the same thing I love and or different things I love and just being able to chat about it. It's not the, I'm not even as excited about my purchases as, as I am about the people, just the experience with them. It's just, it's everything. It's what makes any hobby. It really usually comes down to the people. Yeah. You know, it's something Zoe said after the, uh, the last expo, it was her first expo that we took her up with us too. Oh, yeah. And she was like, I, it was just, it was crazy being in a room where, 
we're not we're no longer the weird people for like yeah, reptiles. everybody in the room likes reptiles so it's like yeah. we're, we're normal people now when it's my wife comes she'll often just hold my purchases and stand in the middle and yes. <laughs> and like she's just not it's not her thing she, yeah. it, it's like oh, i'm not the normal one now <laughs> yeah she's the weird person in the room like you're either it, 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 in, in, it's your passion or it's not so mm. yeah and you have to everybody's a different person at the expo like mm. Like oh, oh yeah, <laughs> Expo Gen is different. I mean, yes. regular Gen's already a lot, but Expo Gen is like a times a million. Like you, you can't like, catch Jen at the Expo. You turn around and she's already been at four tables and God, back. <laughs> Come look at this! Come look at this! Oh my God! I just found so and so, and yeah, like that's yeah, true. Um, it's, <laughs> it's important. Like, it's like an amusement park. You're running from ride mm -hmm. to ride, and you're just on this high, and it's joy. It's just it's joy, and it doesn't have to be about the purchase. It's just joy being there. What about you? Uh, I love it. I can't wait. Um, uh, like everything, of course, the people as well. Uh, but everything, the talks. Um, there's gonna be an aquascaping competition that I want to watch. Um, there's gonna be there's a bird section. I want to see some parrots. <laughs> like there's just so much. I'm so excited for it. Because this is like, combined. But the, the people is the big thing for me as well. The pet this expo is combined, right? It is. It is the pet expo. It's the aquatic expo. There's even see, a tropical plant sec section. So that I am also very excited about. I figured you would be. I yeah. also like my mammals, which we didn't yes. talk yeah. about, but I keep yes. um, mammals. I breed degus and. Uh, there is a small animal village. I know. I know. <laughs> and there's a few um, colors of degu, which are are really hard to get right now. So secretly, I'm kind of hoping there might be degus there, but who knows? But we're gonna find you a pied degu there. There we go. I have. Yeah. I have. A, I have you a, have a pied degu already? I would, but I. Really, oh, I was completely joking there. Okay, no, that's hilarious. I really like a black degu or a sand okay. degu. If anybody okay. sees it, find me and pull me over. Okay, yeah. done. And there's that's gonna be a lot of talks, right? There is gonna be a lot of talks. There's gonna be uh, the Dave Kaufman Ball Python movie is gonna be playing there um there's gonna be uh there's the crbe lounge if anybody's interested in music like reptile keepers that play music will be playing there uh it's just gonna be so much there's so much packed into two days i cannot wait i cannot wait it's um, gonna be so good please come find us come say hi yeah. Let's, or, message, um, or message us on instagram like again like, I'm on instagram, yeah. jay hey jay um yes. message me and let me know you're gonna be there and we yes. can just meet and say hi like i love meeting people that i chat with all the time and yes. finally actually get to see what you look like and exactly you know. i usually i usually end the episodes by saying tell me tell us where they can find you but i'm going to take it from you this time don't find her come find her at the expo yeah and, and, and jay hey jay on on instagram but come find her at the expo yeah, yeah. um uh, okay. is there anywhere else they can find you actually just just so we don't leave Mostly any links I, do Instagram. I, I, have, <laughs> I have my tiktok on my youtube same thing jay hey jay but i don't producer as much i just i spend most of my time on on instagram because it's where people know where i am and uh like i said it's where i do most of my sales and such and expos and expos <laughs> and here in ottawa at critter jungle like and I, here in uh, ottawa critter jungle yeah, come, i yeah, do exactly. consulting there so there i'm there a lot so um yeah i have lots of people that will try to see when i'm going to be there and we meet at the store and again it's lovely to meet locals there so yeah absolutely that's, that's where you can find me or maybe exactly. here again. Who knows? Maybe we'll no, do another episode. Definitely. We already have so much planned, so much more to talk about. We barely scratched the surface of Jen's keeping. So you'll definitely be seeing her again. Um, but I'm going to wrap this episode up because I want you all to go look at websites and vendors for the expo. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, nope. thank you very, very much, Jen, for coming on and for giving us all that very useful information. Um, we'll start planning the next episode very soon. Yes. 
And uh, yeah, JHJ on Instagram. Go give her a follow. Go get your expo ticket. Follow me on Instagram as well, Daffy's Reptiles and Daffy's Roundtable for the podcast. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you at the expo. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>